Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. You want to know what makes my day? Reading the reviews from SaveWithConrad.com. John in Lincoln, California left us a five-star review that said this was the easiest and most professional loan company we've ever worked with. Larry, Phillip, and Holly were professional and friendly, making sure we understood every step of the process and answering all of our questions in a timely manner. We knocked one and a half points off of our interest rate, took cash out to pay down debt and repairs, and our payment didn't increase. Amazing team, amazing experience. Thank you. No, thank you, John. I appreciate the kind words. Here's the thing, man. We want to get you the best rate possible, but more importantly, we want to set you up for those long-term goals. Don't you want to pay your house off faster? Wouldn't it be cool to do it with cheaper monthly payments? If you've got debt, it's up to you how you pay it back. At SaveWithConrad.com, my family will help your family do just that. We're going to get you the best rate possible, the greatest tax deduction possible, get you out of debt as fast as possible with the cheapest monthly payments possible. And it's all possible at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Seriously, get yourself a quick quote right now. We're routinely helping our listeners save 60, 70, 80, even $100,000 worth of unnecessary interest. But how much can you save? Find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Man, we love talking about our friend Steven Singer. And I'll tell you, the competition must really hate this guy. He just makes the experience of buying a diamond better and better. And he makes it fun. Steven is the very first to offer each and every customer the perfect price. That's right. Have you ever wondered if you're getting the best price? Are you uncomfortable negotiating? Well, head to Steven Singer Jewelers and you're guaranteed to get the perfect price. You'll never pay more than the guy sitting next to you. Here's a little insider tip. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down to make you feel like you're getting a deal. The guy next to you may be paying less. Do you want the most important purchase of your life to be based on your negotiating skills? That's never the case at Steven Singer because at Steven Singer Jewelers, you're guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. That's why we trust Steven Singer. He makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. So check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers. One place, one price. If you've experienced a loss of motivation, energy, or sex drive, or if you're noticing that you're a little softer around the middle than you used to be, it could be that your testosterone levels have dropped. Here's an unfortunate reality. By the time men reach the age of 30, in most cases, their T levels have started to decline and low T can lead to a loss of muscle mass, depression, lack of energy, and low sex drive. The good news is you can remedy this with test X nine. This revolutionary new formula 
comprises nine medically proven ingredients in measured amounts to naturally boost your body's testosterone production, which will maximize your performance and drive in a professionally developed supplement featuring magnesium activation technology. You're going to experience increases in strength, energy, and sex drive, as well as improved sleep and well-being. If you want to take it to the next level, you can maximize your results with the ultimate test stack, which combines test X9 and T assist. It's an estrogen control and liver support blend to turbocharge your T levels and leave you feeling like a new man. You'll be amazed at what an effect raising your T levels can do for your overall performance and well-being. Don't settle for average man up at legacy That's L E G A C Y S U P P S.com legacy And be sure to use the promo code Eric for an additional 10% off your entire order. That's legacy and use the promo code Eric for an additional 10% off your entire order. And I want to mention this is champion tested champion approved. This is Nick Aldis's company. Go support the NWA world's champion and do what the pros are doing. Check out legacy and use the promo code Eric. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I am just outstanding. Get to enjoy another day where enlightening and entertaining the audience simultaneously is not just a job, it's a freaking calling, and I'm glad to be here doing it. I see you're uh, you're sporting a pretty cool shirt today. Uh, yes, I am here. Let me let, let me do a little better job here. Boom! Check <laughs> it out. Can you believe that Wale Mania is still happening? I mean, this didn't feel like this was possible this year, but uh, how about now? It's with our boys over at Foot Action. Wale has put together a deal, and we have exclusive merchandise that comes out on the seventh. I can't believe this is a real thing, man. I mean, this is a big deal to have, you know, I think the one you're rocking right now, is it like a Ron Simmons tribute, but they've got Mark Henry, Booker T, Kofi Kingston, Sasha Banks. It's all the great black champions in WWE history. Wally mania, man. This is pretty cool. It is cool. And just remember Ron Simmons was a black WCW champion. In fact, the belt that Ron is carrying over his shoulder in this very image, which I am wearing, is the WCW World Heavyweight Championship belt. So there you go. Just a little fine tune on the plug. I just, uh, I don't know, man. I, I didn't expect a big brand like Foot Action uh, to uh, to support wrestling and what we're doing here. And obviously Wale has been a big supporter of our podcast for many years. And you and I have both been to Wale mania and 
Of course, this year with social distancing being what it is, Wally Mania is at foot action. So if you haven't already, go check it out. This is super cool. It's a very cool association. And it's awesome to have a great friend of the show like Wale involved with something so big like this. It launches April 7th. Follow at foot action on social media for more details. Uh, but dude, the Kofi Kingston shirt, have you seen that one yet? I know you're rocking the I have not. You're gonna Can't love wait. it. It it was a it was a major happening when Kofi won the world title at WrestleMania and now it's been immortalized with a t-shirt. Check it out. It's at foot action and it's coming out on the seventh. So here in just a couple of days. But the reason we're here today is to talk about spring stampede 99, but of course we are home stretching it for WrestleMania. Eric, as you and I are talking right now, are you technically a hall of famer or do you technically become a hall of famer this weekend? I think I technically become a hall of famer this weekend when it's announced to the world. Well, it's been announced, but when it's presented to the world at WrestleMania, at least that's how I look at it in my mind. I'm still kind of, still kind of getting used to the idea. I just realized this morning that now I have the opportunity to change my Twitter handle and my bio and be able to include WWE hall of famer in there, but I'm not exactly sure if I can do that or not without getting a phone call from Jerry McDivitt. So, um, but either way I'm, I'm here and uh, enjoying every minute of it, the, the newness of it all. It's not only not worn off, it's actually intensified because I was in Tampa uh, this past week uh, filming some of the ceremonies and doing some photography and things like that, some interviews. Um, and that's when it really began to set in because I was actually, you know, in the WWE venue at the time and and all that. And then uh, even still now, it just feels kind of cool and new and fresh. Well, I want to talk about that whole experience, but I guess we'll, uh, we'll wait and talk about it after this weekend. Uh, WrestleMania is this weekend. It's the biggest week of uh, wrestling fandom all year. This is our super bowl and the super bowl is essentially two nights this year, just like last year. But unlike last year, there will be fans there scale of one to 10. How excited are you to watch wrestling with a lot of people again? 10. Yeah. I'm Jones and brother. I'm Jones and. It's just, I've said this so many times, I won't repeat the same thing over and over again, but, you know, watching wrestling um, over the past 12 months has been a challenge for me for all the reasons I've articulated in the past. But now it's like, oh yeah, you get to feel that feeling again, that rush of energy, that just giant piece of the puzzle that was missing, no matter how hard everybody worked from the talent in the ring to the people in post-production and everybody else involved in bringing you wrestling each and every week. Um, it just ain't the same without a live crowd. And to get that back after 12 months, really on a large scale. And before we forget, I want to remind everybody um, you can watch the induction ceremony uh, tomorrow night. This, this of course, hitting uh, Sunday, I guess it'll hit at freeshows.com. Uh, Monday morning is when it reaches the masses. And on Tuesday night, I think at 8 PM Eastern, check your local listings on the Peacock streaming platform. You can see the hall, hall of uh, fame inductions where it will become official to the world, I guess, even prior to actual WrestleMania. So yeah, I guess this Tuesday night is when it becomes official. All right, heads up, boys and girls. Our pal and Grammy-nominated artist Wale has announced an official apparel partnership with WWE, along with Foot Action, 
The very first Wale Mania capsule was designed with Wale, and it's going to launch during WrestleMania week and features some of the greatest black champions of all time. There will not only be apparel available online from the greats of today, like Kofi Kingston and Sasha Banks, but also legends like Booker T, Mark Henry, and Ron Simmons. Damn. Wale Mania launches on April 7th. Follow at Foot Action for more details. And I got to tell you, man, I'm pretty hyped up about this. Wale has been a big supporter, not only of professional wrestling, but of our podcast for years. And now he's got to deal with foot action. Come on, man. You love wrestling as much as I do, or you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. And who doesn't want to style and profile? Seriously, this is a big deal. Make sure you follow at foot action at Wale and use the hashtag Wale mania, or just check out hashtag Wale mania and see what's causing all this. Wale Mania launches on April 7th. You got to follow at Foot Action for more details. But man, this is so cool, and we are so glad to be a part of Wale Mania. Coming to Foot Action with Kofi Kingston, Sasha Banks, Booker T, Mark Henry, and Ron Simmons. Damn. Wale Mania is a WrestleMania tradition, and this year it's no different. Check it out right now. Use that hashtag Wale Mania, and be sure to follow at Foot Action and at Wale to get the lowdown on all the new t-shirts and hoodies and everything else that Wale's got going on. Cause let me assure you, if Wale's involved, it's going to be cool. It's at Wale at foot action and hashtag Wale mania just in time for WrestleMania. And it launches April 7th. I'm pretty fired up about it. I can't believe this is uh, finally happening. It feels like it's long overdue. Uh, I'm going to be watching. I'm sure everybody at home will as well. And we'll talk about your experience next week here on the show. Before we get going though, any predictions for this weekend for WrestleMania? Anything you want to throw down and say, Hey, I know nobody sees it coming, but. Well, I, I, I can't honestly say from my perspective, watching what I have watched and being aware of what I'm aware of, um, that I expect any real surprises. I can tell you what I'd love to see. I doubt it's going to happen. I want to see edge. Yeah. I want to see him get it, brother. I want to see him be the heel of all heels. I think edge, what based on what I've seen so far, has he lost a step of his, of his youth? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, is he a more powerful character today and a more experienced character today and therefore a better performer today than he was 10 years ago? I think so. I think so. And I'd love to see that happen. And then the feud between he and Roman, I know that doesn't make any sense from a, a a writing perspective. If WrestleMania is your big buildup and that's where, you know, you would want to see Roman Reigns, you know, succeed, but I, I don't know, man. It's just the what if in me. I got a lot of what ifs in me, and sometimes I go off on a tangent on them, but yeah, what if that were to happen? How cool would that be? Catch everybody by surprise, set up a great story. Oh, it's exciting. No, I think it's going to be fun, man. You know, even if, uh, this does feel like a different WrestleMania, I'm just, I'm not as hyped for this one as I have been in the past. And I wasn't really last year either. I think things are still just a little weird, but you've got such great talent on this card. 
I mean, Cesaro and Seth Rollins could steal the show. You know, Shane McMahon is going to do some silliness. It feels like AJ styles never disappoints. Uh, Bobby Lashley has been waiting for his moment in the sun for a long time. And there's another, there's another, that's another one too. I like what's going on with Bobby. Yeah. I like, it feels very organic, very natural and believable to me. I like what's happening with Bobby. That's another one to watch sleeper, if you will. And then of course, as you mentioned that three-way edge, Daniel, Bryan, Roman reigns, a lot of fun, interesting stuff there. Last year, I thought Rhea Ripley and Charlotte had a great match. Uh, a couple of years prior to that, Oscar and Charlotte had a great match. Now we see Oscar and Rhea, uh, a Nigerian drum fight, which on paper, I'll admit sounds like, huh? Uh, but big E man, this could be his breakout year. I'm super pumped about that. And I'm even interested to see, you know, this whole Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn thing. I know online people have some strong opinions about Logan Paul, but Logan Paul is a major influencer and he might get some, some fans who might not normally be watching WWE programming to check it out. So I'm all for that. Anything that's going to grow their footprint, I think is a good thing. I like the Logan Paul, you know, angle oftentimes, you know, getting a celebrity to participate in a show. You know, we saw it recently with bad bunny that I think was overall was pretty effective, at least from what I can see in, in terms of social media reaction and traffic uh, and the velocity of it all. Um, I think that was a good strategic move because it will bring a fresh set of a new set of eyes that typically might not have even thought to experience WWE to sample the product. And that's what that kind of move is all about getting a new audience, a new demographic, uh, a new psychographic, if you will, um, to go, Hey, I'm going to check this out. That's what that's for. That's why you utilize, you know, influencers and, and celebrities because celebrities are influencers in their own way. But when we define influencers, we're talking, I, at least I think primarily of the social media influencers, yes. the YouTubers of the world and the people that dominate Instagram and dominate Twitter, um, and are generating millions and millions and millions of, of impressions, you know, a week or in some cases a day. Um, those are the people that really have the power to bring a whole new set of eyeballs to your product. And I think Logan Paul is a great choice because he's not only a major influencer, by the way, you know, he's into Pokemon collecting Pokemon. Yes, he is. We're going to talk more about that. You and I sometime in a very freaking near future. Cause I do not believe in coincidence as you know, um, but yeah, he's, he's not only a major influencer, he's, he, he's kind of, he loves to go in there and mix it up. Yeah. I mean, he's an, he's an amateur wrestler, so he's got, he's got the ground game, you know, even as a, as an amateur wrestler, you've got the fundamentals and the basis basics. And if you're in shape and athletic, you've got a lot of advantages over a lot of people add to that. He's taking his boxing training really seriously. So he's very comfortable going in there and getting Banged because if you can't take one, you can't give one. That's the basic fundamentals of boxing. You got to eat one to spit it back out and make it worse for your opponent. And Logan Paul doesn't have any issue with that, apparently. So, hey, come on. I think that's one of the more logical celebrity um, acquisitions that I've seen in a long time. We, uh, we did StarCast uh, 4 together in Baltimore. And it was the same weekend as Logan Paul's pay-per-view boxing fight. So of course I had the, the guys from fight in the house, helping us put together the pay-per-view for fight. And I had the inside track on what type of business that show did. And I probably shouldn't say on the air here, but let me just say Logan Paul is a needle mover that people are underestimating. 
And if you had the, if WWE had the inside track on how many boxing fights he really sold just through fight alone, uh, this is a no brainer pickup. So I know it's oh, pretty- I love that. See you, you see, I, I, I go with a gut feel and maybe just a little bit of kind of anecdotal yeah. knowledge or information. You bring it home, brother. You're adding meat to the bone, making that just real. And I love that. See, and, and again, here we are, Conrad. We're doing it. We don't even know we're doing it, but we're doing it. We're entertaining and enlightening. I love I, that. Again, not comparing apples to apples. I realize it's different, but. When AEW sells 150,000 pay-per-views, people are like, oh my God, can you believe it? Logan Paul just through fight sold a multiple of 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 that number. It is staggering the drawing power he has with the youth. And that's obviously something that WWE has missed. It felt like their demo was skewing older. If you want the younger folks, Logan Paul checks a lot of boxes and hopefully Spring Stampede checks your box. We know for sure that we have at least one listener today. Welcome to the show, Mr. Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, this is the show where DDP first became world champion, so I'm sure he's listening somewhere. Uh, this one went down on April 11th from the Tacoma Dome in Tacoma, Washington. It's a sellout, brother. I know uh, Eric's not exactly having fun by April of 99, but the business is still a booming. 17,690 folks are there. 16,799 of them paid a very strong gate, $582,230 and another six figures in merchandise, 106 grand to be exact. It's the fourth pay-per-view under the spring stampede name. It started in 94 and then took a few years off and returned in 97. That 94 stampede is still regarded as being one of the very best ones. 97, of course, is when, uh, Booker T had a slip of the tongue, if you will. But this show in particular, I think is criminally underrated. Just from a card standpoint, you had a loaded roster when we were just running through the match lineup last week, it was sort of overwhelming to think about how much talent you had under your employee here. Yeah, it was a, it was a burden and a blessing in every way that you could imagine. <laughs> and you know what I, I, I took away and you're right. I mean, the, the main event, you know, you have four of the biggest names, you know, in the industry at that time, arguably, um, maybe four of the top six or eight, let's put it that way. Um, and, and the undercard was, a was a very solid, solid undercard, but what, you know, my, my note to myself, you know, this morning when I got up to watch this, to prepare for this podcast was, it, it, I, I, I'm going to use the term lazy booking, and I don't mean it lazy in the, to, to to the extent that nobody was trying hard. Right. Everybody was trying really hard, but there was no creative juice in the mango. It was just creatively dry, and as a result of that. And we'll, I won't go into my notes throughout the whole show, but as a result of it, my takeaway was as solid as this pay-per-view was, and I think it was a solid pay-per-view, um, a lot was left on the table. And what I'll try to talk about with without spending too much time in, in the weeds today is the why of that. And, and, and it rests on me. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm not going to blame anybody else. You can, you can be assured of, that, assured of that. But this is a primary example, to me at least, of what happens when creative is crushed. Mm. 
And your creative team essentially is walking around in one state or another of professional wrestling's version of PTSD. You're just, you're doing what you have to do to get through the day. And I think that's reflected in this show. I think it even manifests in some of the matches. Some of the matches were really good, by the way. There were some I was surprised at how good they were and, and surprised that they were, you know, one of them in particular was my favorite match of this pay-per-view. And no one would have ever guessed it coming out of me. But aside from that, um, everybody put in the work, but nobody had vision. And that's my point. You know, the word of the day, and I probably have used this word before, so it's not really a good one, but, you know, prescient, Mm -hmm. you know, the ability to see into the future, the ability to know what's going to work before everybody else can see it. Mm -hmm. Or you could just call it vision. A lot of what got WCW to the dance in 94, 95, and 96, and 97 was a vision. Was it the best one? Maybe not. Was it a pretty good one? Evidently. Um, by the sold out house here in April 99, WCW was flatlining creatively, yet we've got a full house. Yeah. At what a half a million dollar gate. I mean, come on. And that's when, and I don't know what the ratings were for Nitro going here. I'm guessing they we're probably in the high twos, mid twos, uh, possibly. But this was not WCW at its peak, and we were still selling out major venues with less than stellar creative. So probably drift off into the reasons why of all that, from my perspective, at least, but really interesting show. I'm, I'm glad you chose this one to, uh, to review. And you know what else is really cool about this particular event in, in April 11th and diamond Dallas page. What's that? Do you know what diamond Dallas page has a store for one of the biggest moments in the world of sports that took place on April 11th, What's that? 1999 Neil Jenkins guy that nobody would have expected converts a Scott Gibbs try to give Wales a famous 32 31 win over England at Wembley stadium and allows Scotland to win the final five nations rugby championship. It was a huge day for Neil and a huge day for DDP. And they shared that in the world of sports on April 11th, 1999. I've never heard of any of the people you just listed, but, uh, I hope that everyone, because we're here to entertain and enlighten. <laughs> now, you know, I'm See, you walk away. Every time you listen, you walk away with one little smidgen of information that you didn't have before. And you are wealthier for it. By now, you know, this episode is sponsored by blue chew. Say it with us. Blue chew. Blue Chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer lasting erections. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve a harder, stronger erection to combat all forms of ED. You know, erectile dysfunction. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at a pharmacy. But maybe best of all, it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Now, the process is simple. You'll sign up at bluechew.com. You'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. 
Don't like swallowing pills? No problems here. Blue Chew's Sildenafil and Tadalafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, and they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code 83 weeks at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is 83 weeks to receive your first month for free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring our podcast. Did you see that, uh, that buzzer beater? As you and I are recording Sunday morning, did you see that buzzer beater last night with Gonzaga? No, man, I was asleep by eight o'clock last night. <laughs> you got to last, last week beat my ass. I'm just not used to it anymore. Well, it was a hell of a finish. Uh, tonight, of course, is the uh, college basketball championship where most people are listening to this on a Monday. Uh, any, uh, any guesses tonight? Who you got Gonzaga or Baylor? I don't know. Who do you got? <laughs> I, I think, I think Gonzaga's got it. I, I didn't watch obviously, and I'm, I'm not a college basketball fan, so I'm not pretending I am, but I did read a lot about that, that win. Oh, God's a gut and how emotional it was. And some of the great reactions, you know, between a couple of the players at the end of the game made me really appreciate sports more than I typically do, because you don't see that in the pros, at yeah. least not the same way. I agree. There's something real about college sports, even though I'm not a college basketball fan, I like to at least stay aware of what's going on a little bit and catch up on the news of it or the highlights of it, because I see the emotion and the passion in a much different light than I see it in professional sports. I'm done with professional sports. I really am tired of it. Well, let's talk about professional wrestling. Let's talk about WCW here. Uh, of course we know WCW is not going to go down until March 26, 2001, but I think a lot of comments I saw online when it was announced, we were covering this is that this was like, in a lot of folks' opinion, the last great WCW pay-per-view, and it is a loaded show. Usually a pay-per-view starts with the talking heads, you know, the announcers just sort of covering here's what's going on and here's how we got here. Blah, blah, blah. Not the case here, man. We jump right into the matches and we're going to jump into the matches too. But first I want to talk about the rumored main event. Uh, it's been long said that the original plan here was a rematch from uncensored they had a, a barbed wire cage match the month prior to this Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. That is Flair would beat Hogan for the title, but now Hogan is working on an injured knee and maybe they don't think they can get the match that they normally would. So it's changed to a four way where it's going to be Flair defending against Hogan sting and DDP. Do you remember the creative perhaps adjusting because of, uh, Hulk maybe hopping around a little more than he normally would. I don't, it's, it, it could possibly be true. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's not true because, um, it could have happened, but more often than not, I think statistically, I'm absolutely correct. When I say this, those types of perspectives, or as you refer to them, rumor and innuendo are guesstimates and often guesstimates that are more fiction talent and fiction fictional than actually an estimate or guesstimate. So I, it, while it could be true, I, I, I honestly don't remember it because it wouldn't have been anything that probably didn't happen 10 or 12 or 14 times a year. Um, and you just adjust them and fly, but I don't recall that being the case. Let me ask you something else. And I want you to try to not go on a rant if you can. 
Uh, another rumor that's mentioned is perhaps they would go with flair teaming with DDP and Booker T. So you got flair DDP and Booker T on one side, Hogan Nash and dusty Rhodes on the other side. And Meltzer would even freestyle that Rhodes was perhaps being considered for this spot because Scott Hall perhaps might be retiring from wrestling. So Hogan Hall and Nash on one side makes a lot of sense. Flair Booker T and DDP are probably the stalwarts of WCW at that point. That could have been interesting. Do you remember that ever even being discussed a six man like that? You know, I can't speculate on somebody else's speculation. I really can't. And it's a, it's not a, that it's an unfair question, but it's so, so much of that reporting typically is it's just possible, I guess that a discussion may have been had at one level or another sure. during this period of time, but was it a real thing that in, uh, involved me and my thought process or, pro- or, or decisions? No. Let's talk about uh, something that we know for a fact, and that's that our boy Scott Steiner was sentenced to 10 days in jail on March 17th. This is a case where uh, he hit a DOT worker with his F Ford two F two fifty. Easy for me to say. That's a giant pickup truck. If you're not a uh, a truck guy, and he's also ordered to pay twenty five thousand dollars in fines, fees, and restitution. He's also sentenced to seven years of probation and given 200 hours of community service. Uh, the charge here is aggravated assault and making terroristic threats. This all happened in South Cherokee County in Georgia where Scott lives and he's driving down a closed exit ramp. And there's a worker named uh, Paul who told him the exit was closed. And then Scott hit him with his pickup twice. Now he wasn't hurt severely or seriously. Uh, and this is Georgia's, uh, first time offender rule, which means his conviction can be taken off his record as long as he avoids any trouble during his probationary period. But needless to say, he's shocked by the 20 something thousand dollar fine and seven years probation. what do you think when you heard this news? I mean, is this sort of par for course when you're running a wrestling company that you're going to have guys get your, get themselves in some trouble or did this one stick out? Like, what the fuck are you thinking, man? I'm a pretty cynical dude. I really am when it comes to this type of thing. I, I, I had a couple of questions and I have them to this day. If Scott Steiner hit this dude, not once, but twice, how was he Ford F two fifty? How the fuck didn't he get hurt? I agree. Totally. It feels Which like makes me think. That yes. perhaps there was some shady shenanigans. Oh going God! On. Listen, hey, I, mean, I did it! 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 No, it just makes me kind of think because I can. I've been in situations like that before. You know, does Scott just Scott just try to ease his truck up a little bit, and the guy bump into his truck and go, "Hey, you can't hit me with your truck." That's what it sounds like to me. You don't run into somebody not once but twice with a Ford two fifty, yeah. and not hurt him. Yeah. So right off the bat, I'm smelling really bad fish here. It doesn't work for me, brother. You know, it's hard to argue with the logic, but, uh, we should mention that Wade Keller would write Scott's off camera behavior has beginning, has begun to frighten some in WCW. 
Apparently his temper has gotten the better of him and he's thrown tantrums at gyms and airports and has had to be restrained by other wrestlers on more than a few occasions. Um, were you hearing that? That hey man, uh, my guy's uh, got a, an even shorter fuse than normal. Maybe we need to talk about this. This is kind of a slippery slope for me because if I tell you how I really felt, people yeah. are going to hear this and they're going to go, Oh my God, Bischoff just didn't care. He was Bischoff didn't know how to manage people. Bischoff, bad, 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 bad. But I'm going to do it anyway because, you know, I don't give a fuck. Let's do it. Um, look, Scott was com- very volatile, volatile. Yeah. Like combustible doesn't even get close in, in many respects. But I never, I'm not going to say I didn't take it seriously because I did very seriously. But, but I never thought he'd really do damage to anybody. Right. That was Scott's go-to when he was really trying to make a point and he was frustrated and angry, or he felt that he was being wronged or whatever, whatever it was where Scott was feeling like he wasn't getting a level of respect or he didn't trust what that would be. Trust was a big thing with Scott. If he didn't feel like you were shooting straight with him, his go-to was to go right for your throat, if not literally, but figuratively, Bark, and, not bite. and make you fear for your life and reconsider the position you're currently taking. But I never really believed that it was anything more than Scott doing what Scott was capable of doing, and that was just scaring the shit out of people until they, until they went along with whatever he wanted to do. He was good at that. Yeah. I never took, I never, I was never afraid of Scott. And I don't mean me physically. I mean, obviously physically yeah. he would pack me up like a little ball of clay and toss me across the room. Not that, but I mean, I was not afraid of Scott doing something, whether to me or to anybody else and really intending to hurt them. Now, the exception would be, of course, if someone were to try to take a physical liberty with Scott and attack him, then I think that, you know, worlds would have probably come to an end. But just in the course of his day, you know, his everyday, you know, activity and, and behavior, it was obnoxious. It was inappropriate. Um, it, it was, you know, bullying to the nth degree by today's <clears throat> standards uh, and probably by <clears throat> the standards back then as well. I'm not, not dim, dim, diminishing it. Okay. But my point is, yes, I hated it when it happened, but I never feared for anybody's well-being. I don't think that's a bad thing for you to share. Let's talk about, uh, your girl whisper of the nitro girls. She gives her notice around the time of the show, which I guess isn't surprising given that people know that she's now engaged to former WWF champion, Shawn Michaels, uh, and Meltzer would even freestyle. Nobody would be surprised to see her show up on WWF TV in some form or fashion. This is one of those really weird sort of wrestling success stories. They're still together to this day, raising a couple of kids and doing the family thing. And given the path that it seemed like Shawn Michaels was on once upon a time, a lot of people probably wouldn't have predicted that. Were you surprised to hear that, uh, one of your nitro girls was now going to be marrying the heartbreak kid. Uh, surprised, not angry or anything like yeah. that, but it's like, how the hell did that happen? Right. <laughs> you know? 
what? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, I was pleasantly surprised, but but that's all. Conrad, you know, one of the things I really dig about this show and doing it with you is we get an opportunity to sample products from our sponsors before we endorse them. And that opens up the door for a whole new world because we get to try things that we otherwise maybe we're thinking about trying but never quite got around to. And I love this one because I don't talk about it much, but for about the last six months, I've been working pretty hard on dropping some weight. Something that was really easy for me to do, you know, growing up as a kid, because I was always, you know, involved in athletics, whether it was wrestling or martial arts, and I loved to run, and I loved to be active. And as I got older and busier, um, not so much. And the weight starts creeping up. I'm going to take out way too often. You know the, you know what kills me the most? What's that? Snacking. Oh. I've always been a snacker. And that's one of the great things about Nutrisystem is they provide you with certain snacks to kind of get you through that craving, but still keep you on the track for losing weight. It's convenient. I mean, Conrad, they delivered it right to my door. Wow. It's just like Christmas when I get these things. And this one was a really good one to uh, to open up because there was so much great product in there. And if you're serious about losing weight, and it's hard, man, especially as you're getting older and you've got to get some bad habits. But if you're really focused, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a plan there. And anytime you have a plan and you work the plan, generally speaking, you're going to get great, great results. And a lot of people are getting great results with nutrients. In fact, you can lose up to 18 pounds in your first month depending how committed you are. So uh, can't, can't say enough good things about Nutrisystem, man. It can be the answer to your weight loss challenge. Not yours, Conrad, but the general you or yours. If you're out there and you're trying to drop some weight, check out Nutrisystem, man. Absolutely. Nutrisystem offers perfectly portioned foods delivered right to your door. That means no shopping in busy grocery stores. You just heard Eric mention with Nutrisystem, you could lose up to 18 pounds in your first two months. The plan is clinically proven to put your body in fat burning mode and help you achieve safe and healthy weight loss. It's going to teach you how to lose weight and learn how to keep it off all with Nutrisystem. They've even got a new top rated app called new me for extra motivation to help you stay on track. I know Eric's big on coaching. Well, how about this unlimited one-on-one coaching, which is pretty cool. And it's all science based, but don't take our word for it. Why not try it right now? Order Nutrisystem now. Go to Nutrisystem.com forward slash 83 and you'll get 50% off. Eric, 50% off? How great of a deal is that? And when you get it and you get that 50% off, reach out to me on social media and I'll come over and we'll have a snack together. (laughs) Do it right now. Order Nutrisystem now. Go to Nutrisystem.com forward slash 83 to get 50% off. Let's uh, let's talk about some other news and notes as we head into this show. On March 29th, there's a nitro at the Toronto Air Canada Center, and Bret Hart appears here in street clothes and calls out Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan for avoiding matches with him. Then he calls out Goldberg, claiming he could beat him in five minutes. So Goldberg comes out, gives Bret a spear, but Goldberg doesn't get up, and Bret rolls him over, and Goldberg is unconscious. Bret is actually wearing a metal breastplate under his Maple Leafs jersey which resulted in Goldberg knocking himself out when he went for the spear Hart then counted his own pinfall over Goldberg and announced over the mic. Hey, Bischoff and the WCW, I quit. So first Brett has talked about this over the years. And he said, at first you liked the idea, but then on the day of this, you wanted, 
you went to him and told him that you wanted him to cut a promo on the Canadian fans and turn heel there in Toronto. And he just flat out refused to do it. And he tried to make you realize what a great idea he had with Goldberg. And he says that you told him he could do the thing with Goldberg and then Hulk would come out and high five Brett and attack Brett. And Brett asked you, why am I going to work with Hulk? And you said, no. And he asked, is Goldberg going to work with Hulk? And you said, no. And Brett said, why would I do that then? And then he says that you finally said, well, if Hulk says it's okay, then you can do it. And I'm sure that you have a different side of things here. Yeah. I'm I'm not even going to get into this one. Not, not for no other reason than, than again, uh, you know, Brett, Brett has his version of a lot of different stories and I, it's not, I, I think Brett is one of the more honest people that I've worked with when it comes to integrity most of the time, but oftentimes when it comes to his version of stories, I've just heard too much straight from his mouth and read too much that have been written about things that came from straight from his mouth that I'm, I'm just going to leave it, leave it alone. If in, 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 if Brett wants to believe those things and the audience chooses to believe those things, then great. I mean, have at it. Um, I'm sure I'm certain. I know all in, all of the same that a lot of what Brett, some of what Brett, relate in his version of that story is absolutely true. I, I can easily understand why I wanted Brett to turn on the Canadian audience. Right. Because I wanted a hot heel. Right. That's all. Right. And I can easily see why Brett would have a hard time with that because of Brett's relationship to the Canadian fan base. So I could see Brett throwing up a roadblock. As for the rest of it, I just, it's so hard to comment on somebody else's perceptions. I don't remember any of it the same way. I really don't. But rather than call Bret Hart a liar, which I refuse to do, because I think he's genuinely an honest person. But I think what happens so often when people tell these stories over and over and over and over and over and over again, and each time they tell it, they try to embellish it just a little bit more yeah. to make it a little more interesting or to make their position in that story better for them, maybe in big ways, maybe in little ways, maybe in ways they don't even know they're doing because the story has begun to change so much over to the now decades. So I don't want to do that myself. I, I don't want to give you what I think my version of that story was because it would be different than Brett's and it would be, be based on my memory of those events from 22 years ago today. And I would probably do in, in, uh, not consciously, but subconsciously probably remember it a little differently than Brett did for the same reasons. So I don't want to be a hypocrite and I don't want to call Brett Hart a liar. I'll call him whiny sometimes and kind of negative, but a liar. He's not right. Um, so I'm just going to let that one go. And I hope our audience isn't disappointed in my response, but if I were to take it any further, I'd be going, I'd be doing the same thing. I'm suggesting Bret Hart and others do. Well, when you saw the actual execution of what did happen, I mean, I don't know how you felt about it, but as a fan watching from home, I thought this was one of the more memorable things that happened on nitro that year. I loved it. I did too. I did too. And, and it was Brett's idea. 
There was no question about that. That was not my idea or Hulk Hogan's idea or <clears throat> anybody else. That was Brett. He was feeling very passionate. He was engaged. And that's, you know, I've talked about this before, and I will say this about Brett, and that's not necessarily all that favorable. Uh, but, you know, when Brett was engaged, when it mattered to Brett, and he he was committed to what he was doing, Brett was awesome. But I think one of the reasons that Brett was so committed and came up with such a great idea, it was because it was in Canada and he was in front of his Canadian fans. And that's important was probably still is important to Brett. So he upped his game, came up with an idea and guess what? We used it. So I get why Brett is bitter. And, and, and I've, I've listened to so much about all the negative things that Brett has had to say about me, but whatever. Um, but this was one example of where I was absolutely right. Brett would, when Brett was engaged, he was absolutely engaged and he came up with great ideas when he wasn't, he didn't. Let's talk a little bit about, um, some other news and notes about that angle. Meltzer says there's a ton of behind the scenes info regarding the Brett Hart quitting angle on nitro. The angle pretty much went as planned, but there was a lot of backstage maneuvering to try to kill and or change the angle. Basically several weeks back, Hart came to Bischoff with this angle that he would heat him up for working on top of pay-per-view shows, despite what you've probably read elsewhere and will read elsewhere and will be rumored everywhere. Hart is going nowhere and is under contract for longer than will be publicized and work storylines that will come out with the quitting angle. The idea is his contract is up soon and thus he's teasing leaving. And you know where that speculation goes, it'll be made as part of an angle. Legitimately, it appears, and I'll get to it in a second. Kevin Nash was mad about the angle, or at least he was telling anyone who would listen that Nash had already gone to Hart last week and wanted to use all the heat on the internet about him burying Hart, which he was doing and turn it into an angle where he could become a heel booker since that's what he's being portrayed at anyway. And Hart had fans all over his website, blaming him for Hart's lack of push. Nevertheless, even though Nash told Hart, he wanted to turn this into an angle. There must've been some heat at some level since Nash didn't want the Hart Goldberg angle to take place and was complaining that he was given control to be Booker and that this angle was sprung on him and he didn't want it. And he was told by Bischoff, they wouldn't interfere with him as they had previous bookers. So let's just take a time out right there. This Nash angle is something that fans have been fascinated with Nash as a quote unquote booker. Do you remember him having an issue with this Bret Hart Goldberg piece of business we just discussed? No, no. And, and once again, there was just so much, there was so much that I still resent to this day with that type of, I won't call it reporting because that was fiction. That was fiction. That was, that was a, that was an individual who felt and probably still feels the need to convince his audience that he has this incredible base of inside information that would provide detailed perspective from both sides of a quote unquote rumored incident or speculation as he refers to it. It's not, it's his imagination as a really, really, um, kind of twisted up fan, the same kind of twisted up fan that likes to position himself as someone who loves the wrestling business. And if his reporting was true, he would be 
um, distributing proprietary information. He would be leaking information or publishing information that was leaked um, and, and hurting the product that, that the people who su- supposedly leaked it to him. How do you love the business if, if, if you do that? That's assuming it was true. Right. And it's not. It's not at all. It's, it's just like graphic novel fiction. There should be animated cartoons that go along with this shit and at least be entertaining that way. But it's just so unfortunate. And the same thing is happening today, which is the only reason I'm bringing this up. The same thing happens to this day when people who write like that individual and try to position themselves as having information they really don't have and cloaking the fact that they don't have any real information with a bunch of speculation that they present as a fact. They don't say, this is my opinion of what could be happening. It's presented as sources tell us this is going on. Right. That's a lie. And if you're going to do that to just to make you 12 bucks a month, because you've been able to successfully, by the way, and hats off to you for being successful, Dave, um, and being able to make a living fooling people and misleading people. But just, I want people to know that when they consume this stuff and believe in this stuff, they're believing and consuming the very product that hurts the product they supposedly are fans of. So it's, it's a weird, you know, kind of dystopian existence, but I guess it's one we have to live with. So my family celebrates Easter and we certainly did that yesterday and it was great to be back with everybody. Uh, last year we were all a little nervous, so we were a little more socially distanced than we are this year. Uh, but mom and dad got the vaccine and things are moving in the right direction. And I knew it felt like uh, home again. when We started pulling out the old albums and showing off those embarrassing photos that we all grew up with. But the really cool thing, just like always these last few years, we started talking about ancestry.com. This has been a real game changer for my family. It gets us an opportunity to talk about who we are as a family a little more than we maybe used to be able to does your great grandmother work hard to raise her children and keep her family together maybe your grandfather marched for social justice and paved the way for change does your family persevere through natural disasters to rebuild and start new was there a healthcare worker in your family's past who cared for another generation facing a pandemic all of these things maybe you wouldn't have access to if it weren't for folks at ancestry.com Our ancestors were ordinary people who lived through extraordinary situations, something that we all certainly understand these days. And challenging times are really nothing new, but neither are resilient people. And learning about their struggles and the adversity that our family went through can bring us closer to our own family today as we share those stories and form new bonds. That happened at my house yesterday, and I hope it happens at your house real soon, all with the help of Ancestry. They're going to help you search billions. That's right. Billions with a B billions of records to learn more about the ancestors who came through remarkable challenges. So you could be here today. You can find details about their lives and records and ancestry. You can see what they did to earn a living in a consensus record or their actual signature on a military record. Maybe when they signed up to fight for our country, you're going to learn their stories and it's going to help you find a connection to what they went through and how they stood strong through all those hardships and struggles. When you get closer to your ancestors by learning their stories, you really have a new way to get closer to your family. Now, discovering your ancestor stories of resilience and records and ancestry can help you gain a deeper understanding of their lives. Man, it just brings us all together. It was high fives all around in my house this Easter. And I hope you guys will check this out. There's strength in every family story. 
learn more about yours at Ancestry. Head to my URL. It's Ancestry.com forward slash 83 weeks to start your free trial. That's Ancestry.com forward slash 83 weeks. It's a game changer for my family. I hope you check it out for your family at Ancestry.com forward slash 83 weeks. So let's briefly circle back for a moment because you said it's all fiction and I appreciate that, but I do want to clarify. Did you ever have conversations with Kevin Nash about him being frustrated about not having a, a quote unquote final say or something like no. that? No. Okay. No, I, I'll t- I remember distinctly the conversation that Kevin and I had in the new offices over on log cabin drive in Atlanta at about five 30 or six 30 in the evening on a, probably a Monday, probably a Tuesday night, not a Monday night, a Tuesday night, maybe a Wednesday night when Kevin came in. Oh, by the way, he wasn't getting paid extra to do it. When he came in to help write and help solve the creative problem that I referred to at the beginning of this episode, it just was, there was no vision in it. We were getting by, we were checking boxes. We were doing all the things necessary to be able to produce a pay-per-view, but there was no vision. There was no heart. There was no emotion in it. It was, and I'm, 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 I'm going to say some things later on when we start talking about these matches that still apply to this day. And I'm seeing other organizations do not intentionally, but they're doing the same things and it's wrong. It's what's not wrong. It's wrong with, in my opinion, it's not the healthiest thing for the business. Let's put it that way. Or the growth of the industry, growth of the industry, which it isn't doing right now. But my conversation with Kevin was Kevin saying, Hey buddy, I can see you're cracking. I can see the stress you're under. I can see what's going on with you. I'm here to help if you need help. That was it. Yeah. It wasn't any of the rest of this, you know, internet horse shit that people feel the need to write and consume because they're in their own world. I don't even know what world they're in where they get off on making this stuff up and disseminating it. And again, maybe it's just all about the money. And if that's the case, Hey, whatever, you know, I don't care. I don't have any skin in the game other than I want people to know that it's really detrimental to the industry and you're supporting cancer. Wow. Okay. Um, let's talk briefly about, <laughs> do you still have your subscription? Conrad? Yeah, I do. Sorry. I knew it. Uh, hey, to each their own. I don't judge. Well, I guess I do, but I try not to. Let's talk about, uh, the promo he cuts afterwards. Bret Hart says something like, um, you know, Goldberg's the guy who put up the money to challenge Steve Austin, but I'm the guy who beat Steve Austin every time we wrestled and Meltzer would remark. I figured even in Canada, that would elicit at least some booze, but instead it drew the biggest cheers. There was a lot of people backstage hot at Brett for bringing up Austin's name, but it did make sense for him to do so. If he's positioned to be one of the biggest stars in the business at a time when he hasn't been viewed as that in a while. And besides it got the, it got the biggest pop of anything on the show. Do you remember there being heat about him mentioning Steve Austin's name or was that? Absolutely. Absolutely not. And if anybody would have been hot, it would have been me. Right. Everybody backstage loves Steve. Right. Who, who, who are these people, Dave? Come on. Who was it that was hot backstage? Because that's some insight almost as if Dave was there, but he really wasn't. 
And since he wasn't there, he made it up because it sounds really good. It wasn't true. If there was one person in WCW at that time that should have been hot, if there was anything to get hot about, it would have been me. I thought it was a great promo. There you go. Afterwards, it's been written that uh, you and Brett get into a shouting match backstage. That's a quote unquote worked shoot, brother. And that there's no cameras around. And supposedly, this was your idea because you wanted all of the quote unquote boys in the back to believe that this were a real situation. Do you recall that being the case? I don't, but again, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest and say it could have been true. It sounds like something I would have done, but let's dissect why. I mean, for the very reason that this schmuck, it's not the word of the day, but it's appropriate. Um, This guy has to go out and, and create all of this fiction in order to sell newsletters and by the, or whatever they were called back then, dirt sheets still probably, um, it was my way of fighting back. It was my way of doing the things I needed to do to keep the mystery in the business. If there were people, and by the way, there were people, you know, I think this guy that we're talking about to this day, he writes glowing, favorable things about people to give him attention, positive attention. He's like a fucking trained seal. All right. If you give him a fish, he'll go, you know, if you mention his name, God, if you if you engage in a conversation with him, um, you, 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 you Google the Internet, you know, look at look at his reaction when he gets a little bit of attention from somebody. Um, Did you say Google the Internet? Or, yeah, Google the Internet. Google, <laughs> go to the Internet and Google, Google the Internet. You sound like this. Shit. Welcome to Grilling JR, folks. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny shit. I love that. But no, you, there's images that you can you can see of Dave when he's interacting with you know superstars or high level talent. He's like giddy, like a like he's like a trained seal. You know, wags his tongue, gets whatever, and he and he'll write glowing things, or and 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 probably in most cases not write negative things. He may not be so obvious because he's clearly a smart man. He may not be so obvious as to write glowing things about people that feed him inside information, particularly when those inside when those people that are feeding him are typically in middle of the pack, whether it's in the office or on the card. Those are the people that need that kind of attention from Dave or think they do. So if there are people that leak information, those are the people. And he may not write glowing things about them, but he won't write anything negative. And that's the quid pro quo. That's the mutual exchange of benefit that that occurred and probably still does in many cases today with people. And not all people, by the way, there's a lot of, you know, newsletter writers and people that cover professional wrestling that I've learned to have respect for because they've, they've evolved their business model. They've evolved the way they cover the sport and they don't do those types of things anymore. Some of them used to and quit and just started treating it professionally as a journalist would somebody that has some integrity and some commitment to being accurate and not putting junk out there just because you want to have junk in your, in your newsletter that people think is going on. That's not, but some of those people haven't evolved and Dave is one of them. Let's, uh, 
let's move along here. Let's talk about, uh, what the payoff was going to be, or if you had a plan at all, it feels as if there's a lot of, you know, conjecture in the newsletter about what will Bret Hart be doing next? You know, there is the Hulk Hogan theory. We just ran through. There's the Kevin Nash theory. We just ran through. There's even other speculation that you didn't want him to quit on air. You wanted to hold a press conference, involve the media, make it feel real. Perhaps it's speculated in the newsletter that Brett worried. Maybe then people will think me leaving the WWF was a work and I don't want that. I want to be honest with the media. So let's just do it on TV. But at this point, it looks like he's just sitting out because nobody's really sure what to do with him. Do you recall what the plan was? Like what, where, what was this all supposed to lead to? Disingenuous brother. If I try to make some shit up, I, I don't know what the plan was. There might not have been one, you know, things we were, as I'll talk about it as evidence in the body of the show, there was no, I said it at the beginning of the show, there was no vision, right? There was no direction. And that's on me. I'm critiquing myself here and, and probably in some way directly, you know, supporting some of the things that Brett and others have said about my leadership at the time. It was, I was a wreck. I've talked about that. You know, what, what I was going through behind the scenes, it had nothing to do with the television show that everybody watched on Monday or Thursday or Monday and Wednesday, whatever it was, um, was way more intense than anything that Dave Meltzer or anybody else even made up about what was going on backstage way worse. And that's where 90% of my thought process was. And only 10% of it was in creative and there was no vision on my part. That was my bad. I'm not going to make excuses for it. It was what it was, but there might not have been a plan for Brett at that point. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, he makes the news here and it's not in a good way. Meltzer would write Kevin Sullivan, 49 passed out before the show and was literally asleep on the floor backstage and lost control of his bodily functions. The EMTs arrived at the building and Sullivan actually stopped breathing backstage on more than one occasion before he was revived. At one point in the early evening, there was fear he had a seizure or even a heart attack, but it turned out not to be as serious as that. Um, this is one of those moments where I think, uh, people talk about demons in the wrestling business. What do you remember about this scary incident with uh, Kevin Sullivan? Yeah. I remember the incident like it was yesterday because I was not far from the locker room. I, I might've been just outside of the locker room or barely down the hall when it happened. So I was in, in the locker room within less than a minute, probably less than 30 seconds. Um, I was kind of in the scene, if you will. Um, and I'm trying to remember there was a, there was a bodybuilding supplement that was available over the counter at the time. Uh, GHB is what everybody in WCW was using. Yes. And there was a liquid version of that. Yeah. It, it, it came in a plastic jug. And by the way, I, I did it myself. Okay. And so I'm not throwing stones or talking about something I know nothing about here. I've, I, I experimented with it. It was legal. It was over the counter. And for me, when I used it, uh, and I only used it on a few occasions, I didn't use it probably more than three or four times. Um, if you follow directions, um, it had a very uh, 
positive effect on your ability to relax and go to sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. If you doubled up or tripled up or more than upped the recommended dosage, it had a you know hallucinogenic effect and it could shut you down. Um, and I, yeah, I, that's what it was. It was GHB. It was liquid GHB. I can't remember the, the exact name of the product, the retail name of the product that was available, but you could get it anywhere. Right. So it wasn't like he was shooting heroin. Right. Um, but he, you know, like a lot of guys, you know, it's kind of a wrestler's mentality. If one is good, two's better. That means six is probably right for me, you know, and, and wrestler dose, if you will, a wrestler dose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when something like this happens, do people look at you as the leader and say, Eric, what are you going to do or not so much? No, I think, I mean, they may think that they'll not say that they'll not carry that outwardly. They'll not act that way. They'll not say that type of thing between themselves because the majority of them are guilty of it. Right. Right. No, I get that. It's like, I think more common would be, God, I hope he doesn't fuck this up for everybody. And now they're going to start testing us for that too. That would probably be the more prevailing response in the locker room at that time. Um, and I'm not saying that nobody was concerned. I'm sure there were the people that were concerned. Not everybody was, you know, partaking in recreational dosages of drugs that could kill them. But the answer to the question is no, it's kind of a protect each other, protect our own kind of yeah. mentality. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about your contractual status. Meltzer has a line item in the observer that says Bischoff made it clear to everyone that he isn't quitting. And he's got another three years on his contract. Were people in the back, you know, in the inner workings of the organization, whether it's the office or the, the performers themselves, were they seeing beyond Kevin Nash, how frazzled you were? There, there were probably many people in the office that were with me 12 hours a day. Um, that saw a whole lot more than Kevin Nash thought he saw, right? Because they were, they were in there with me. You know, it was a horrible time in, in Turner, in the company of Turner, it was a horrible time and not just for me, but for every part of the Turner organization, it was going through some of the same things I was going through. Some of them, you know, in a much more profound way because they were bigger divisions, WCW as successful as it was, you know, late nineties was still a, you know, real, it was a line item uh, on the. Turner Broadcasting SEC filings. It was a line item that was in the classification of other. <laughs> so th- there were certainly bigger divisions that had bigger challenges, but they were all created by the same kind of things. And, but for me, you know, I, I was, and here's where I wish I would have been, I'm not going to say smarter because I was pretty smart. You know, but being smart and being experienced are two different things. And I wasn't experienced. I never worked in a corporate environment until I came to work for Turner Broadcasting. I never led a company of more than probably 20 or 30 employees before I came to Turner Broadcasting. And and that wasn't in a public company. You know, when you work for one of the largest public companies in the world, it's a different kind of culture and environment. Yeah. And navigating through that culture and environment is completely different than navigating through an environment that's not a public company and is not as corporately um, inbred. That's a great way to say it. 
perfect way to say it. Um, as as AOL Time Warner, well, then it was Time Warner Turner. Um, it was it was a tough time. It was ugly, dude. It was ugly. I would never want to go back to an environment like that again. Let's talk about Chris Benoit. Uh, he's on the fan in Toronto. It's a radio station, boys and girls, and asked if uh, he thought there was a conspiracy to destroy the company from within. And he said, quote, it appears that way. He also noted that he had signed his new deal. And when he did, he vowed, he would never complain about the company again, but that Eric Bischoff hadn't delivered on the promises he made when he signed. And he says, uh, he's in wrestling for the money at this point. And in three years, when his contract's up, he'll just be 34 years old. He'll be a free agent and have a lot of money in the bank. And he also made note that Kevin Nash only has interest in pushing his friends. Do radio appearances or media appearances like this get approved by the company ahead of time? Is someone monitoring them? Does a memo appear on your desk sort of detailing how this went since it is rather controversial or not so much? No, I heard about it obviously after the fact, but no, I didn't, you know, micromanage PR and in the interviews that over probably 120 talents that were under contract at that point may or may not have done. <clears throat> that wasn't part of my day-to-day activity. It would have been overseen by, <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, a guy by the name of Alan Sharp, who generally was very good. And when things happened like that, that shouldn't have happened, I would, I would be made aware of it. But I wouldn't have known about it in advance. I wouldn't have approved the um, the appearance in advance. In advance, Alan Sharp would have done that. So when you are made aware of this, is it something you catch Chris backstage and have a conversation, or you know what, I got bigger fish to fry? Who gives a shit? It might have. Been, it could have been either one, depending on what I was going through on that particular day. Um, but it, it, I don't remember that that it happened. It clearly it did, but I don't remember it. I don't remember reacting to it. Um, I could only imagine as best I can, how I would have reacted. And I would have been pissed off and disappointed because, you know, Chris didn't know what I was, Chris didn't know what was motivating me. Right. Chris didn't know what my challenges were. Sure. You know, I, I understand, I understand and understood while why talent who's so far removed from the real center of the universe in terms of what's really going on in a company, I understand because they don't have information and they're just relying on things that they hear or read or they tell each other or guess. And those things are all pretty negative and they all lead to things that are pretty negative. So I can understand frustration like that. And, and I don't, at least today, I don't take that kind of thing as personally as I used to probably, but back then it would have been just one more thing, you know, bite the hand that feeds you. And I think the thing that bothered me most about what you read back to me was that I didn't live up to a promise. I never made promises that I didn't, at least give a hundred percent to keep people may argue about that. I don't really care, you know, but I never intentionally made promises to anybody and then just dismissed them or ignored them or pretend I didn't ever. And if, if you ever interview anybody that's really worked with me, um, you'll hear that, you know, I didn't need a contract. I, if I look you in the eye and shake your hand, we're good. The contract will come. It'll be there. But if I say something, if I commit something to you're, somebody, you're going to do it and, or now I, I mean it. And to, to hear something like that, again, I know how Chris probably felt at the time. Like a lot of people felt like I felt different reasons, right? Felt the same way. 
but it would have been disappointing. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm always looking at a screen now more than ever. And whether you're an avid news watcher or in serious need of a distraction, unplugging yourself is easier said than done. One of my favorite ways to rest my eyes and still get the content I mentioned for by putting in my Raycon wireless earbuds and listening to something great. Whether you're catching up on your favorite news podcast, binging an audiobook, or powering through your workout with a pumped up playlist, a pair of Raycons in your ears can make all the difference. This has certainly been the case for me and my household. My wife, Megan, as you know, is uh, rededicated to a cycling routine and she takes her Raycons every single time. You've also heard Eric talk about how this is normally an issue for him using earbuds because he has a little bit of cauliflower ear and it just makes wearing earbuds uncomfortable. Not with Raycon, they're comfortable. And oh, by the way, there's no dangling wires or stems to get in your way here. Raycons come in a range of stylish colorways, but always with that comfortable in-ear fit for a more discreet look. Raycons are built to perform anywhere and anytime with water and even sweat-resistant construction and Bluetooth that pairs quickly and seamlessly. And with enough battery life for six hours of playtime, you can unplug for a while. The best part? Raycon makes great sound accessible to everyone with wireless earbuds starting at about half the price of the other premium audio brands. And right now, Raycon's offering 15% off of all their products for my listeners. And here's what you've got to do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash 83 weeks. That's it. You'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. So feel free to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com forward slash 83 weeks. Buyraycon.com forward slash 83 weeks. Is it fair to say Bruce has sometimes speculated that whenever Vince would meet with talent, um, he might say something like, uh, you know, we've got big plans for you. You know, I'm excited to work with a guy like you with your skill set, and I could even see you being champion one day. Bruce would say that he may just frame it in terms of we're going to be successful. You know, we're going to give you a lot of opportunity. I could even see you being champion one day, but he says, Telephone, telegram, tell a wrestler. What the wrestler heard was I'm going to make more money than ever and main event WrestleMania and be the world champion and be the top guy and be the face of the company. That's not exactly so true. That's not exactly what Vince said. He was just saying, Hey, I could see big things in your future. I could even see you being champion, but that doesn't mean, all right, pull it out on your Palm pilot. You're going to win the title on June 12th in Poughkeepsie. Like that's not ever the case. You think that's sort of the case here with the Benoit conversation, perhaps? I don't know. It may have been, you know, that would require me to remember any kind of a passing conversation I would have had with Chris at the time. And obviously I don't, but I understand Bruce is absolutely right, man. I mean, that's what happens and it's not, and this is the part that, you know, again, kind of gets to me is that it's not, it's not accurate. You know, these types of reports, these types of stories, telephone, telegraph, tell a wrestler that tells another telephone, tells another telegraph, tells another wrestler. And you, before you know it, the story about, you know, a cup of coffee, you know, turns into a hydrogen bomb just because it's been passed around so many different times and it gets more colorful every time. And if it's somebody's agenda, they'll take it and turn up the volume on it. You know, that's why this, this type of chatter, I think is so 
hurtful to the business. You don't see, you don't ever hear this kind of thing unless it's intentionally orchestrated um, from a movie studio, right? On a movie set. Sometimes it happens. It's rare. The Tom Cruise, the late, late, last latest Tom Cruise movie in production a couple months ago, there was a yeah. big blow up because of COVID and people's yeah. reaction to it. And that made the news. But of all the television series sets and movie sets that, you know, people are on every day or were at least in COVID or before COVID, you know, you don't hear any of this backstage bullshit. You don't hear it until someone decides to leak it for the, for the consumer's benefit. That would be the studio or the, or, or the, or the network. Um, but in wrestling, man, especially back then, you know, in the 70s, well, in the 80s and the 90s in particular, that there was so much of that. Everybody wants, it's kind of like Twitter has become where everybody manipulates it for their own agenda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really hurtful. Not, not, I mean, it's hurtful to the industry. Let's talk a little bit about uh, yourself here. Uh, Meltzer would report CNBC was scheduled to interview Bischoff for a piece on the wrestling business. Although that could change. Apparently WCW was so unhappy with the ESPN show that they've closed their dressing rooms to reporters and especially unhappy with Bischoff's performance. Bischoff was scheduled on off the record on March 29th and canceled at the last minute saying he wasn't going to do any more interviews due to the ESPN piece. Playboy is doing a wrestling story in the May issue. The next rolling stone has an article on Goldberg and the E network is doing a one hour pro wrestling special. So everyone's paying attention to the cable ratings and how they're being dominated uh, by not only WCW, but the WWF. So because wrestling is hot again, everybody wants to talk about it. And uh, the report here is that you guys were not happy with the ESPN version of things. Do you recall that? I don't even know what the ESPN version was. Do you? No, I know they did a bunch of specials and I'm mean, even a and E did some during this time. Do you remember? Yeah, but they were good. They were positive. You know, the, the E network one was, was positive. You know, I yes. was doing a lot of media. I've never been one to not try to take advantage of media and I've never been one to talk my tail, especially, you know, TSN, come on or off the record. Are you kidding me? I'd been on that show before. I think. Yeah. Landsberg was the host. Uh, yeah. I had no problem being on that show. I liked being on that show. Landsberg was a fun guy because he was tough. He was in your face. He'd challenge you. You know, he'd he kind of like you, yeah. you know, he, he, he'd, he'd shut you down and, you know, call bullshit and want more detail. I love those kind of interviews and more than anything, I love the opportunity to get the word out. So I don't know. I don't know. Once again, I'm speculating on somebody's speculation and it's just too hard to do it with any sense of clarity, but, um, doesn't sound familiar to me. Let's talk about, uh, the British bulldog. He's hospitalized with a spinal infection that, uh, Wade killer is going to categorize as potentially life-threatening and, and Wade would write quote, while he sat in his hospital bed in a partial body cast, he received an express mail letter from WCW. He hadn't been active with WCW for months due to a back injury. He suffered when he took a bump in a WCW ring. The ring was rigged with a trap door for the ultimate warriors, mysterious appearances. The trap door had no give when he got slammed on it during a match with Alex, Wright. Smith opened the letter and inside found his termination notice. Smith had been a model far from a model employee for WCW. Both he and Jim Neidhart joined WCW just after Brett jumped and they were expected to receive a huge push, but a number of factors, mainly politics and a reaction to some of his out of ring conduct eliminated his push. 
WCW <laughs> kept him under contract while he was out with an injury, but shortly after word spread, he may be bedridden for five or six months. And if he lives, maybe wheelchair bound WCW sent him a termination notice. <sighs> Lots to unpack here. Do you remember cutting the British bulldog loose? No, pretty sure that it happened, but that that report was, I'm not even going to comment on it anymore. Cause I know our listeners get tired of me doing this. So I'm just, I'm going to pass just Dave Meltzer is what he is. He can't help himself. Well, this is Wade Keller or Wade Keller. Wade was doing the same thing at the time, by the way, I mentioned earlier about some of the people that I have found respect for Wade Keller is one of them. I think yeah. Wade Keller does a great job now, but if you go back and read some of Wade Keller stuff from back in the nineties, not so much. He was following the Dave Meltzer model. Um, doesn't today. He does a great job. I go to his site often for information or perspective um, because I think it's presented professionally and accurately. And when it's an opinion, you know, it's just an opinion, right? Not an opinion dressed as fact. That being said, um, there was so much that was drenched in hatred that was that that was written with an intention um and it wasn't an honest intention it wasn't an accurate representation of intention if davy boy smith first of all there was some controversy over how he actually got hurt there was litigation involved we were also at a point wcw where someone got hurt in the ring and they were no longer um, a part of the roster we weren't going to carry them for life now, we also took care of people. Look at what happened when Eddie Guerrero almost killed himself in a car wreck. Yeah, you, and and his contract, contract was up. Yeah. And what happened to Eddie? You, you resigned. He got a contract while he was laying in the hospital bed so he didn't have to worry about things. Yeah. Every situation was a little bit different, no matter how any one person might want to try to present what they think is going on that might not really be. And I think that's the case here. Wait, I want to put a bow on it. Wade says there's an attitude among some in WCW that bulldog did nothing while earning a WCW paycheck to earn WCW's loyalty. Others in WCW believe management acted in a heartless fashion by sending the letter when they did. So there's little debate, uh, whether or not he earned a dismissal, but perhaps the timing could have been a little better. We could probably, yeah, both agree and, 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 and listen, yes, the timing can always be better, but guess what folks, when you have a contract and your contract is going to be terminated in the terms of that contract, oftentimes it's required by you, that you be notified either in person or by mail, but there has to be a verifiable uh, communication yeah. so that the terms of the termination are made clear. Uh, and the contracts require that. So it's not like, Hey, let's send him a, let's send him a nasty letter and, 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 and kick him in the head when he's down. It wasn't that when you have a contract and you were terminated, guess what? There is a procedure that has to be followed, especially when you're a public company, especially when you're in a, com- a, a public company that is in the midst of a ton of litigation because of situations like this. So there's a procedure and sometimes the process is ugly. How many times have you heard about somebody that's been terminated from a company uh, and, and be escorted out of the office Yeah, because anybody wants to humiliate you, but as a policy to make sure you've covered yourself and nothing can go wrong. Yes. You are often escorted out of the office 
it's embarrassing. I've never experienced it myself, but I know people that have. And it, 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 it can make you feel like a piece of shit. And it can seem heartless to somebody who's on the outside, who's never worked in such of an environment or such an environment, who has no understanding of sometimes the things that have to be done when you have a contract for, in some cases, hundreds of thousands or more a year. Um, yeah, it's ugly. It's unfortunate. It, it may seem heartless from the outside, but it's the cost of doing business at I, that level. I know this is going to sound assholey and what I'm about to ask, but I got to ask. You just said you've never been escorted out. I just assumed when the, your most recent WWE run came to an end, they sent a dude. They didn't send a dude. No, that feels you know, I've never talked about this, but I'm going to, because I think it says a lot. I think it, it would give perspective into a process that most people have twisted up in their own minds. Okay. When I got the word. And it wasn't from Vince. All right. But when I got the word, the person telling me, and I'm going to leave his name out of it. Right. Because I don't want to put him on the spot. But when the person who gave me basically my walking papers, or just let me know that I was being let go. He was, I was more concerned about the way he was reacting than the way I was reacting. I felt bad for him. Right. Because he genuinely felt bad. Sure. We had a great relationship and, and there was someone there from human resources who was observing the whole process because that's what you have to do when you're a publicly held company and you're as big as the WWE is, you have to follow this type of procedure. There's a reason why HR human resources and the compliance within of human resources is important to big companies and small ones. So in the, that step of the process, we had the conversation, I hugged the individual so he wouldn't feel bad. And as I was walking out the door, he said, would you like to say goodbye to your team? And I thought that was so cool. Yeah. Instead of just walking me out the door and it's because he wasn't going to call security and have me escorted out the door. Um, but I'm guessing HR was convinced that I was going to do the right thing and be professional. And, and maybe they broke protocol. I don't know, but I got to say goodbye to the, to the 12 or 15 people that were waiting in the office next to me to start my meeting that was scheduled for about 15 minutes from that point. And I, I was really happy to be able to say goodbye to them and, and leave the room saying something very positive to each of them. That's how I left. Now, it's kind of inconsistent with the way I said, typically the way people, you know, are terminated. And I don't know why I got, a, I got the break, but I did, and I'm grateful for it. But for the most part, that's just part of life. I didn't have a contract, by the way. So maybe that was... Maybe that was different. I don't know. I didn't go to WWE on a contract. I was a work for hire employee, but um, for the most part, especially independent contractors, there is a, there is a formula that you have to, a protocol you have to follow when you terminate them and you have to let them know by mail. Even if you call them, you have to let them know my, by mail after you call them, you know, the deal. Yeah. You live in your own version of it. Well, I, I really appreciate your candor there because I feel like a lot of people, 
look at your, your TV firing, you know, Vince throwing you in the back of a garbage truck and they just assume, well, this is how this company handles business, but that's fiction. That's television. That's not reality. No, it's, and that's the interesting thing about our industry, isn't it? And it really is unique, I think, to professional wrestling, because when you're someone like me who played myself, I mean, I wasn't, you know, the guy named Eric Bischoff who was playing the character, John Smith, right? Right. I was Eric Bischoff playing Eric Bischoff. I was Eric Bischoff playing Eric Bischoff that was playing the president of the company that, oh, by the way, was the president of the company right? in WCW. So that blurry line, you know, we took advantage of and built storylines off of and created emotion with because that's what wrestling does best, right? They make you believe what you're seeing is true, even though it's at a kind of an over-the-top presentation. People still buy into it. And I think the perception of WWE and the reality of the WWE are, are way different. Just like probably the perception of AEW and the reality of AEW are sure. probably completely different. Sure. But as from an audience point of view, when you get invested in your favorite promotion, if you will, um, you begin to feel like, you know, things that you really don't, especially if you're reading shit online and you fail to recognize that, these people are all playing characters. Yeah. You know, they're not, they don't do those things in real life. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, Trish Stratus. We mentioned earlier. Okay. I'm in. Let's do that. That's a little <laughs> more fun, huh? We're going from Dave Meltzer and Wade Keller to Trish Stratus. Come on, bring it, big man. <laughs> She's backstage at this Toronto Nitro where the whole Goldberg spearing Bret Hart with the breastplate thing happens. She's looking for work. And she's backstage here. Do you remember talking to her? No, I may have. I think I'd remember it. I would hope so. <laughs> but the whole Kevin Sullivan thing, maybe had me off for clipped. Huh, another word. Um, that's with the V not an F, but it's pronounced with the V cause it's a Yiddish word. Um, I, yeah, I don't remember. I did. I, 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 I could have. Easily. Let me mention too, just real quick. I want to put a bow on the Davy boy thing. Davy boy. We know is going to kick out. He's going to be fine. This whole wheelchair bound speculation. It's not real. He'll be back with the WWF in September. Ah, what, imagine that it wasn't real. Was okay. that an issue with Brett? The, the, the way the whole Davy stuff happened. It feels like he was probably originally he being Davy boy pronouns, pal was probably originally hired because of Brett. When he's let go, is that something you're preparing for a call for, or do you give Brad a heads up? Or do you recall any of those details? Um, I wouldn't have given Brett a heads up. That wouldn't have been something I would have just, it wouldn't have been a go-to for me. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was any surprise to anybody. I'll leave it at that. You know, Davey's Davey's not here. Well, he's a fellow WWE hall of famer. Um, so I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody that was paying attention to what was going on, um, was surprised. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you may feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't ever. To the naked eye, trains often appear to be further away 
and moving slower than they are, and they can't stop quickly. And even if the engineer hits the emergency brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. Over a mile to stop. By that time, it's too late, and the result is a potential deadly crash. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop quickly, and even if it sees you, it ends in disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way, and you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. Paid for by NHTSA. Let's talk about uh, another slogan for WCW that's being discussed, at least according to the observer. Shut up and wrestle. Do you remember there being uh, a push internally for, hey, we got to set ourselves apart? They're really doing the X rated or NC 17 or adult themed stuff over on the other channel. We can't really get down in the dirt and compete with that. So let's focus on what we can do. R a S S L I N that's wrestling. Do you remember there being a potential slogan? Shut up and wrestle. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. I don't know if it's because I've read about it for so long, you know, a couple times a year that ends up on my social media somehow, some way. Um, but again, there again, and do I remember the discussion? Do I remember an initiative? Was there a plan? Did somebody storyboard it out? Did we hire a third party to come in and help us rebrand ourselves in the face of this new form of competition we were facing and the conditions we're operating in internally? No. Did somebody come up with a great idea that we bantered about for a while and maybe, you know, internally drafted some, uh, some artwork for? Yeah, probably. Does that sound like one that would have gotten my attention? Yeah, it would have. Because when you're forced to differentiate yourself from the product, as you've you know, opened this up with, and you've got to look for what you can do and not try to compete with what you can't do, um, you come up with a way to differentiate yourself. That's what I did when we launched Nitro. We made it as different than the WWE as we possibly could. So it sounds like something I would have gotten excited about, but I, I can't give you any detail beyond that. I know we're, uh, we're over an hour in and we're not even to the show yet, but this backstage stuff is so much fun. I want to talk about it a little longer and then we'll jump into the show. This is the era, by the way, where you debut the new nitro set. So gone is the nitro set. We all grew up with that diamond plate and the trusses and, uh, the classic WCW Monday nitro on TNT logo. And now we've got this giant logo that stretches off into the stage and you're walking across part of it and it opens up for the guys. And, uh, I think somebody I do a podcast with said it looked like a a cat's asshole. Um, (laughs) yeah, it's the cat's ass, the cat's ass logo. It's, it's, it's a terrible logo. And jokingly TDP told me once, bro, that logo was the beginning of the end. It was all downhill. And it's kind of hard to poke holes in that theory in hindsight, because it does feel like, uh, the wheel started to come off a little bit after this pay-per-view. What can you tell us about that logo and how it came to be? I know we've touched on it before briefly, and you were, I think, allowing some people who were department heads to just sort of stretch their wings and make decisions. And maybe you didn't love it, but you thought, Hey, this is what delegating is about. Let's, let's let them try it. But in hindsight, I think you've gone on record as saying you fucking hated it. Jay Hassman. Jay Hassman is the man responsible 
for creating that or having that logo created. Jay wasn't uh, any kind of a graphic artist. <laughs> no shit, right, Eric? Great observation. Um, but he was the head of marketing. Let me give you the backstory. Let me let me create the context with which you can better understand that you Conrad, but the audience at large all over the four corners of the globe. People were turning in, tuning in for this type of knowledge and information and insight. One of the one of the criticisms that I would get from Harvey Schiller, who was my boss. And when I say criticism, I mean in a very constructive way. And people say what they want about Harvey. He was a little bit tough. I have my own, you know, certain issues with the way Harvey handled things, but his intentions were good. And he was a he tried to be a mentor. And at least he did with me. I'll speak for myself. So Harvey would, and Harvey and I were as opposite as probably two people could be in, in many respects, <clears throat> similar in some, but very different in many, many others. But one of the things that Harvey did around this time was sit me down and say, look, Eric, here's kind of what's going on around you. You know, you've got to delegate more. Now, specifically, that meant with a guy by the name of Nick Lambros. <clears throat> Nick Lambros used to work in Turner Legal and was doing a lot of the legal work with WCW. He didn't work for WCW. He worked for Turner Legal. He got bored being just an attorney and was really excited about what was going on in WCW. So he applied to come and be directly an employee of WCW and was no longer an employee of the Turner Legal Department. But he was our liaison mm. with the legal department, which I thought was really beneficial because it gave WCW somebody at a fairly high level within the legal department. And the legal department was a big head. Of, you know, they didn't report to WCW. They were their own thing, but they had control over us. And to have somebody that was from that fabric, who was a part of that team previously and knew the people on that team and knew the processes on that team and knew the challenges that we were going to have from that team because he was on the other side of that equation. To me, it makes sense to have Nick inside. Mm -hmm. And he was a very smart guy and a very, very fun guy to work with. But as happens, sometimes people get in and it was like, well, I no longer want to just do legal. I, you know, I'd like to be involved in more. And that's a good thing, by the way, because especially when you're smart as someone like Nick Lambros was and talented. And there was another reason why I was, delegating more towards Nick. And by the way, I'll connect Nick and um, Jay Hassman and just Jay Hassman in just a minute, but I want to give a complete background of the picture. I liked Nick. I really loved working with him. Nick was a godsend to me. He in having Nick, you know, in the office next to me enabled me to expedite processes and, and get answers to questions that I would otherwise wait weeks for sometimes, if at all. So it was really beneficial. And because I liked working with him. And then it got to the point where, where Nick wanted to do more. And by the way, I needed more help. I knew that. So between Nick's wanting, Nick wanting to do more, Harvey Schiller telling me, look, if you want to, you know, keep this job and keep growing in this job, here's what you're going to have to change. Um, I handed off marketing. 
completely. It no longer reported to me. In the early on, it did. And I made that transition. And once I made the transition and handed marketing off to Nick, he brought in Jay Hassman. And Jay Hassman came in with some great credentials. And, and it made sense to hire Nick, or at least it did on paper, or excuse me, Jay. At least it did on paper. And then Jay decided he wanted to get his fingers because it was a fun, WCW was kind of a fun, cool thing. Even then from the outside looking in, it still looked like a pretty cool place to end up because there were a lot of good things, you know, that had been happening for the previous couple of years. So Jay came in and of course it was time to rebrand. That was, that was what we need to do. That was the influence we got from Turner executives um, who actually controlled the television show or not controlled the creative in it, but it was their, it was their, it was their beachfront real estate, not mine. So, okay, let's rebrand. Let's uh, give ourselves a facelift. And I let it go. And to not be overbearing and inject my opinion and all that, which I had been accused of doing <laughs> for a couple of years up to that point, I decided to, to back off. And believe it or not, the other ideas that Jay and Nick came to the table with were way fucking worse than that one. That was the lesser of several evils. It could have been worse, but it was what it was. And it was me trying to delegate, I guess. <laughs> to connect the dots, uh, Jay Hassman is also the guy who uh, a lot of people blame for the early demise of NWA TNA as a concept. He joins the TNA team and he's reporting to the group, hey, we're doing 80,000 buys for their first weekly Wednesday pay-per-view concept that started down the road here in Huntsville and then eventually moved to Nashville. The number really came in at 25,000 and the second week at 15,000 and the third week at 10,000, but the Jarrett's were still spending money as if they had, you know, paydays coming for 80,000 buys. So obviously they were upside down and bankrupt before they knew it. And eventually he would plead guilty to uh, two felony charges of second degree grand larceny and first degree falsification of business records. So boy, Hasman left quite a legacy in wrestling. Did he not? Yeah. I wish there was a, you know, a jail sentence for designing fucked up logos. Yeah. He'd he'd, guilty. He would have been guilty of that too. Life sentence for that one. No sense beating a guy when he's down. Hopefully Jay has found himself and turned his shit around and is doing anything but designing logos. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, something Wade Keller wrote since you don't hate Wade as much. Quote, despite shaky morale and the growing gap between Nitro and Raw in the ratings, the power structure appears to be solid for the first time with Kevin Nash as Booker and Eric Bischoff remaining the president. Nash also shares booking power with Hollywood Hogan, Randy Savage, and Diamond Dallas Page, all listed in that order of influence. Hogan and Savage have reputations for only being out for themselves while Paige is said to be out for himself and taking care of his friends. Those without power, but with heavy input would include Kevin Sullivan, Lex Luger, Arn Anderson, and Mike Graham. Sullivan is considered Nash's right-hand man, but his rep is that he comes with as many bad ideas as he does goods, good ones and quote needs an editor. Nash now is as open as he's ever been to listening to anyone who may have an idea. Meanwhile, the feeling amongst most is that Eric Bischoff's job won't be in jeopardy despite losing the raw in the ratings by such large margins and that he will survive at least another year 
in his position. So long as those nitro ratings stay around 4.0 for the first time in a while, it's said that Eric is to be as excited about the company and has been attending more shows. He's still standing behind Nash as his booker, but has stepped in and given Nash a couple of names. He'd like to see used better, including Brent Hart. Another reason for Brent's current push is said to be fans flooding Nash's website with emails, bashing Nash for not pushing Brett. A lot to unpack there, but the thing that jumped out at me the most was those with heavy input. All right. Kevin Sullivan. I buy it. Mike Graham. Unfortunately, I've heard that, but Lex Luger and Arn Anderson that jumped off the page to me. How about you? just another example. I mean, written like Wade Keller was sitting there in the, in, in the booking room or, 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 or in an office <clears throat> inside of WCW written as if it were true. You're right. Lex Luger, Arn Anderson. Are you kidding me? And by the way, Mike Graham, are you kidding me? It, it, <laughs> he, come on. I'm not going to say anything bad about Mike, but Mike never had a lot of influence in the booking. Okay. Maybe when he was working with Dusty for a brief period of time. Right. But Mike was not there because he contributed a lot or anything meaningful to creative. So the mere suggestion of Mike Graham and Lex Luger and Arne Anderson, because that wasn't their roles, I think is the thing that anybody that's going to go back and understand the context which in which these dirt sheets were writing and you know dumping information out on the internet was from a perspective of assumption. In imagination, not from a perspective of reality. Let's get and into I can tell you my job wasn't my my job wasn't Jeopardy in April. I was and this is where I said I, you know, I wasn't I wish I would have been smarter. And again, I, I think I was smart enough, I just wasn't experienced enough. But you know, all this time this stuff is going on, right? The the internal stuff that I talk about. The, the, you know, cutting my budget in half, you know, a budget that was approved 12 months in advance, all of a sudden, halfway through the year, it's cut in half. Oh, and by the way, you got to do more shows, right? You know, all, all, all you got to pay for it too, you know, cause we're not going to pay for the show. We, we want you to pay for it and give it to TBS. Yeah. We want to do that because we, you know, we need to get our EBITDA up because of this merger, blah, 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 blah. I've said it all before people get, they don't want to hear it anyway. Only, only, only a few select the elite enlightened few understand it. Read Guy Evans book. You'll learn all about it, but where were we? How about what was I say? What was the question? How about how frustrated you were? Well, there wasn't a question I was asking about. You know the the booking power and influence with Lex oh, Luger oh, and Arn oh, Anderson, oh, yeah. and and you were saying yeah. I, internally, I've got all this going on. So again, at that time, Wade Keller was much like Dave Meltzer in writing from his imagination, based on perhaps second and third or fourth hand information. It wasn't true. So much of what he said in that in that whole in that whole reference that you just made to what Wade wrote, there were probably it was probably ten or fifteen percent of it that there was some degree of reality in or truth in, and the rest of it, the rest of it was fiction based upon that ten percent truth and you, reality. You're making a point about your employment status. Where- oh no, I was in trouble. Oh, that's where I was going. I'm sorry. So at that time, because all these things were going on around me, I still believed that Ted Turner had control gotcha. over WCW. I believe that. 
because I didn't have the experience to understand what was really happening around me. Never been in that battle before. Never saw a battle like that before. Hadn't read about a battle like that before. So I'm going under the assumption, if I keep pushing buttons, I'm going to eventually get in front of Ted and fix this thing because that's what had worked for me in the past. But it wasn't working anymore, and I couldn't understand why. So I went from pushing certain budget buttons kind of strategically to getting to the point where I said, fuck it, I'm just going to grab a ball-peen hammer and start banging on doors. And when that didn't work, I said, fuck it, I'm going to get a battering ram, and I'm going to start banging on doors. And I took a sledgehammer to it. And all the while, I'm trying to make enough noise to force a meeting where we could talk, really talk about what WCW needed at that time in order to compete and survive and morph into what everybody else wanted it to be. Because those conversations weren't happening above me. They were only happening in WCW offices. Nobody up above me really gave a shit. So what did I do? Being the kind of go for the throat personality that I was at that time. It's like, fuck it. I'm just going to start. I'm going to start lighting fires till somebody, you know, decides we got to put it out. And I made a lot of enemies along the way. Some of them I knew I was making intentionally. Some of them I didn't realize I was making because of the things I was doing. So my job was by April, May for sure. You know, Wade Keller wouldn't have known that because he didn't know anything else that was really going on inside of WCW. He could only speculate from the outside. But I knew it. Let's talk about, uh, ratings and then we'll jump into the show as we're more than a half hour in so far, uh, March 29th raw draws a record rating 6.5, uh, nitro only did a 3.2 rating head to head there, uh, on the April 3rd nitro raw does a 5.8 and nitro does a 4.3 the next week. It's a 4.3 to a 6.2. So even though we're saying that ratings were down. I mean, before we really got rolling, you were speculating that ratings by here probably were in the twos. They're still over four. So I just want to provide context that while we're saying, oh, this was a bad time in WCW, there's way more people watching Nitro than there are any other program in wrestling these days. Yeah. <clears throat> What's that say? You know, I mean, we get with that's a whole nother show, but it's just fascinating to me. You know, I, I've, I've said this before in a show, I'll only say it briefly. That audience is still out there. Yes, they are. Those people haven't gone away. They're still there. The vast majority of them is going to give them a reason to come back. Well, this is a good show. Uh, I really enjoyed this first match. Um, I, I probably enjoyed it more than you did, but we get Hooven to Guerrera pinning Blitzkrieg in 11 minutes and 11 seconds. Blitzkrieg has gone on to be a, a cult figure in wrestling. He's eventually going to just walk away from wrestling completely and pursue a, a real job, if you will. But he left behind so many people saying, man, what if, and, um, I mean, he's only here, I think like five more months and he's done. It just retired, finished. But a phenomenal performer here, and Meltzer was in love with it. He says it was absolutely amazing, even working with a guy the caliber of Guerrera, that a wrestler with the lack of experience as Blitzkrieg could put on a match this good on a national pay-per-view. Blitzkrieg is far from a great wrestler today, but he is more spectacular than Rey Mysterio Jr., Guerrera, or any of them were at this same stage of their career. Having seen the guy work a few indie shows before his WCW days, it's really amazing how quickly he's progressed. 
there are so many crazy spots in this. It's hard to even contextualize it here. Go out of your way to watch it. Meltzer loved it. He gave it a four and a quarter stars. There are some, some botches here or there where they're just trying for spectacular things, but my goodness, a top rope hoovy driver is the finish. That is just as crazy as it sounds. You watched it this week for the first time in over 20 years, Eric. What'd you think? I wasn't impressed. I, I, I understand why Dave, why Dave was because of what he likes and, and the things that excites him about a match. But from my perspective, uh, this is the beginning of what went wrong with the cruiserweight division. Mm. <clears throat> Not taking anything away from Blitzkrieg or Hooventut, because I have a lot of respect for both of them and a lot of respect for Hooventut. But this was not a cruiserweight match. This match had the pace of a heavyweight match. Yes, there were crazy spots. And if you're a lover of crazy spots for the sake of crazy spots, cool. You're going to give this match four and a quarter stars. But for me, when I watched this match this morning, without hearing (laughs) Dave's evaluation of it, I was disappointed. Because to me, it, it represented what went wrong with the Cruiserweight division. If you go back and look at early Cruiserweight matches, the, the ones that kind of opened the door, I think, for guys that weigh under 220 pounds to still make a great living in this industry, go on to become major superstars and make millions of dollars, was the great action and the characters that evolved out of the Cruiserweights in WCW in the mid-90s. Not saying I have to pat myself on the back, but I think it's true. And it worked. The cruiserweights worked back then and became such a positive thing for so many people that it continues in one way, shape, or form to this day because the style of the match was so different. And by style, not just the high-risk maneuvers and super complex, amazingly athletic moves that you see as a part of that, but the pace of the match, how fast the action is developing in front of you. As opposed to, wow, really cool high spot. Take a breath, take a breath, walk around the ring, get a choke hold, whatever, rest hold, you know, take it to, boom, another big crazy high spot. Oh, wow, that's great. One of the reasons I created the cruiserweight division was because we had so many big guys on the heavyweight division. And we had a two-hour show called Nitro. And every match to me kind of looked the same because everybody was kind of the same. They were one version or another of the big larger-than-life character. And their matches were very slow because they're big guys. It's like, you know, watching heavyweight boxers, you know, versus a middleweight boxer. Versus a flyweight boxer. You know, if you love boxing action, meaning you love combinations and speed and footwork, and you love just a fast-paced match, you're probably going to like flyweights or middleweights. But if you like the big, powerful, you know, larger-than-life characters, the heavyweight characters of boxing, you're going to watch that style of boxing. Or you'll choose that, that type of boxing. It'll be your preference. For me, when I created the Cruiserweight Division, it was because I had so many heavyweights that the pace of their match, the amount of action that happened within a six or 12-minute segment, and the way that action flowed to the audience needed to be distinguished. It needed to be different than 
everything else on the show. If everything the same, if everything is the same, nothing is unique. Yeah. And that's why I created the cruiserweight division. And it worked at the beginning because the people that were coming into the cruiserweight division were coming out of Japan. And that's where that style was very successful. That's why I hired those people. That's why I consulted with Masa Saido and Brad Ringens at New Japan to bring in those people that could have that style of match. And by doing so, they would be so unique within the show that it would become popular. It did. Now, fast forward to 1999, and here's an example of what happens when the guys who were so excited about becoming you know, a part of the cruiserweight division, while it was getting exciting and big and growing, are all of a sudden going, yeah, I kind of want to be in a main event. Maybe not consciously, but in the way they wrestled. And this match, to me, was a perfect example of that. Again, I'm not saying that that's what Hubertu and Blitzkrieg were thinking, but it became to manifest more and more and more. We're going to talk about a couple other occasions on this show where I see the same thing. Part of that is what I said in the beginning. The end always hangs on the beginning, Conrad. Always remember. And going back to the beginning of the show, even though this isn't the end, one of the things that I talked about was, because I couldn't come up with a better way of saying it was lazy booking. Yeah. This was an example of the same type of thing happening within the match because nobody, including me said, no, 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 you guys, if you're going to have a cruiserweight match, it's got to look and feel like a cruiserweight match. Not just because you're doing high, crazy high spots that Dave Meltzer is going to like, but because the pace of the match has to be different than the pace of the match we're going to see in the main event or in the semi-main event. It's going to happen faster. Right. And this match is an example of where we began to lose that feeling within the context of a cruiserweight match. High spots, yes. Very athletic, yes. Psychology and pace, not so much. Okay, time out. I want to talk about how much I love tag team wrestling and specifically my favorite part of a tag team match. It's the hot tag, baby. We recently got the hot tag over at SaveWithConrad.com from Michael in Williamstown, New Jersey. He left us a five-star review and he had this to say, when I started the refi process, I went to the company that held my loan to ask about a refi. They were less than optimistic about some of our refinance goals. A fan of Conrad's podcast. I wanted to give Conrad a shot at earning my business. I worked with Jimmy and immediately got the sense that our goals were realistic. I locked in an ultra low rate and the terms that made the deal were a no brainer for me. In the end, I cut six years off of my loan and saved about $90,000. I can't thank Conrad, Jimmy, and Eric enough. Think about that, man. His first company, the company who had his current mortgage, said, no, I don't know if we can do that. And the old wrestling podcast team pulled through, baby. He got six years off his loan, $90,000. Are you serious? It's the best rate he's ever had on a mortgage. And it all happened at SaveWithConrad.com. He saved 90 grand, but how much can you save? It's free to find out right now. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And it's not a matter if you can save money. It's a matter of how much. Find out right now. Savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Hurry to savewithconrad.com. My opinion. Well, I, I, I couldn't give it four stars. Um, but man, it is interesting to think the Splits Creek guy in my opinion was ahead of his time. I mean, this match they put on here looks like it could have been on dynamite or NXT and it was an older match. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by Blitzkrieg because he did here. He is in WCW and then he just walks away 
I know I'm, I know I'm asking a silly question here. Do you have any recollection of all about Blitzkrieg? I wish I did. I'd like to add some insight, um, especially because you obviously hold them in high regard and the, what could have been, or the, what if of it all is an interesting take. So it'd be nice to know the reason why it didn't happen, but I don't let's keep it rolling here. Let's talk about the next match. This is something that, uh, was pretty common in this era, a hardcore match. I know you absolutely hated it. You've got the former Sandman here. Now he's hardcore hack. He's got chastity who, uh, got a little bit of notoriety this year when it came out that before getting in the wrestling business, she did an adult video, uh, and then bam, bam Bigelow, who's been a heritage performer. It feels like he's been on TV forever at this point. Uh, and they get a decent amount of time, 11 minutes and 33 seconds. And Meltzer would say this was really the perfect match to follow the previous one because it was totally different. Hack was out there literally killing his body to get himself and the match over. And they do something that's just crazy. Well, first of all, he walks out carrying a table and, and, and he's wrapped himself in barbed wire. That's how he walks to the ring. But there is a moment where at spring stampede, they've got this old like carriage there and called a stagecoach. Okay. A stagecoach and your man, bam, bam has no idea that that hack has hidden a table underneath it under some hay. And he pulls the table out of the hay, sets it up, puts bam, bam on it. And I watched it back this week. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, he's not going to jump off that damn thing. Yes, he is. It feels like, especially from the way the camera shoots it, he's way too far away, but somehow he nails it. It is one spectacular stunt after another, all kinds of silliness, including a very funny moment where hack gets the, um, or we have a fire extinguisher go off under chastity skirt and he and Tanae and Tony Schiavone are tickled at this spot. It gets three and a half stars. What'd you think of this, uh, car crash of a match, if you will. Yeah. I mean, it's not my cup of tea, you know? Um, and there was nothing about this match to change my mind about this type of match. Um, but I'll also say, you know, and watching it back like you did got a great reaction from the crowd. It did. I mean, the crowd was into it. There were spots where, you know, just about everybody in the arena were on their feet. So just because it doesn't appeal to me and my sensibilities as a fan or what I like, in a match doesn't mean it was an important part of the show. And those guys worked their asses off to deliver it. So, you know, I, I don't know what else to say about it than that. You know, I, at the end of the day, and I, I say this to, you know, people who have opinions contrary to mine sometimes when it comes to, you know, watching a match back, it doesn't matter what I think. What did the crowd think? That's right. Did the crowd react? If they did, it was a fucking awesome match, whether I liked it or not. Well, up next, we've got, uh, Scotty Riggs and Mikey Whipwreck. Uh, both of these guys listen to our podcast. They go seven minutes and three seconds. Meltzer says the crowd gave these guys no chance and were hating them. Uh, Riggs came out with a mirror that read better looking each day. Obviously that doesn't refer to his career prospects. Boy, <laughs> Meltzer was mean. Uh, Mike today brought up that Joe Namath made up the saying, I can't wait until tomorrow because I get better looking each day which I believe was the title of Namath's autobiography in 1968 and the saying he later made more famous in a song by Mac Davis in the seventies. There were loud, boring chants, 40 seconds into the match 
Whipwreck worked hard, particularly doing a Pescado into a hurricane run on the floor and taking a great guardrail bump. Riggs didn't do much winning with a flying forearm, half a star. So far, this show has a ton of former ECW talent. Hooventu Guerrero was in ECW for a cup of coffee, both Bam Bam and, and Sandman or hack as he's known here, former ECW world champions, as is Mikey Whipwreck. big ECW influence so far. What'd you think of the, um, Scotty Riggs, Mikey Whipwreck match watching it back this week? You know, it was a solid match. There was n- nothing, you know, really stood out. There probably wasn't a great story build going into it. In fact, I think that's one of the things I want to talk about before I forget, because, you know, sometimes I forget what I'm talking about. Um, only because of passion, ladies and gentlemen, only because of passion. But, you know, if you look at this show and here's my example that I talked about earlier on about, <clears throat> for lack of a better phrase, lazy booking, you got two matches on this card or three. I think I've, I've lost track of my notes here that are part of a tournament format. Yeah. Typically a tournament format means we don't really have any storylines. So let's create a tournament. When you have gimmick matches, uh, like I said, the aforementioned uh, Sandman uh, Bam Bam match. Now there's a little bit of a story there a little bit, but not a lot of build. Okay. But it's a gimmick match that doesn't require a lot of storytelling. Add that to the three tournament matches that don't require storytelling. Oh, and then wait a minute. You got in the main event. You've got a four corners match. Another version of a gimmick match. Although you have four of the biggest names in the industry for the top eight, probably or so names in the industry at the time, there's not real story between them. Not the way there needs to be. So your main event's got no story. Your three tournament matches have no story. And your gimmick match is what a gimmick match always is. Right. That's what was wrong with this pay-per-view. That's what was wrong with WCW at this time. Earlier on, I talked about, did we check the boxes? Sure, we did. The boxes were perfectly checked here, except for the boxes on the back of the page is to make sure you tell a good story along the way. They were just... We were, here's how we were booking. Hey, what would sound like a great match? Oh yeah. That sounds like a great match. Cause those are all big names. So let's put those guys in a match. What's the story. We don't need a story. Like four quarters match. It's a four quarters match with four of the biggest names in the industry. Okay. Okay. Well, what about the cruiserweight? Tournament? Oh, you don't need a story. It's a tournament. Okay. Okay. And we've got a gimmick match in here that's kind of going to take away from the main event in a way, probably, possibly. It's another gimmick match with no story. It's okay. It's okay. These two guys will beat the hell out of each other. The crowd will love it. And they did. No story. Great matchups on paper. Makes sense on paper. But there's no methodology from a storytelling perspective. There's no rhyme or re- There's no emotion. There's no emotional waves created through this pay-per-view. You're not bringing them up and then bringing them down. You're not manipulating their emotions the way you typically would on a really great show. You're just putting on great matches or what sound like great matches on paper. Um, I'm curious what you think of the next match then. Cause you got Conan and disco Inferno. I guess we should also mention real fast. Scotty Riggs and Mikey Whipwreck are sort of in an unwinnable position. Because the first one is just crazy high spot after high spot after high spot. The second one, 
all the crazy weapons and violence. And now we're going to work a regular match from a fan engagement standpoint. I've heard other people refer to this as a, let me up match. Like I just can't be on the edge of my seat the entire night. We're trying to take you on a roller coaster ride of ups and downs and highs and lows. And we need to just take a deep breath and process what we've done so far. Is that how you would classify this Scotty Riggs match here with uh, Mikey Whipwreck? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's part of it. You know, the other part of it is, you know, Mikey Whipwreck. I liked his work, by the way. I was excited about Mikey coming in. And you see in this match, he's very, very capable, you know, guy, had some charisma. Um, there's a lot of things to like about Mikey Whipwreck. Um, Scotty Riggs was a staple in WCW for years, just a staple. Mid-level kind of never got a really big push. Didn't get associated with much at the top of, of the pile, so to speak, at the top of the card, so to speak. So he was always there, but never a guy that people kind of expected to rise above and become something special. That wasn't his fault because he worked hard at it. He had, obviously you can see in this match, he had great skills, um, but he wasn't positioned as someone that's, you know, could be the next big thing. And Mikey Whipwreck was, you know, relatively new and fresh to the vast majority of our audience. When you compare an ECW audience to what a, you know, nitro audience was or a thunder audience was Whipwreck was new on a team. What made all that worse is this is not a real story here. So right. you, if you take a, a match with no backstory, no character build, no arc, no urgency, no stakes, it's just a match and then sandwich it, you know, behind what you just described. Fuck. <laughs> it's a bad spot. You're absolutely right. Conrad. Let's talk about what's next here. Uh, Conan and disco inferno before they were podcast partners, they were opponents here. They go nine minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, Meltzer would say this was similar to the previous match as disco worked really hard, but the other guy won disco was given most of the offense. Conan seemed sluggish and off a slight bit when he made his comeback, but the crowd was into him. Uh, after the match, Conan looked right into the camera and said, not tired, which I guess was a reference to Kevin Nash going on TV a few months ago and saying Conan lacked heart and conditioning star in a quarter, some inside baseball there, which, uh, everybody on this podcast appreciates. what do you think of this match though, between Conan and disco Inferno? I thought it was surprisingly good. It was not flawless. I can pick it apart to be an ass. I probably will because you want me to, but, but I, I, there was a lot of things I liked about this match. And one of them was Conan's opening promo when Conan, Conan says, Disco, you're a straight up strawberry. <laughs> I had to go and Google the urban dictionary to figure out what that meant. Well, I'll save everybody else the trip. What does straight up strawberry mean? Basically. A drug addict that sells sex for drugs, but oh, it's yeah. a street thing. It's, you know, and that's, that was Conan's gimmick, man. He always had that kind of new, that, that edgy new kind of take on, on pop culture slang. And that was his thing, you know? Um, I love that because it's like, when you say something, it makes you go, well, what does that mean? Okay. Now I'm engaged. That's a form of getting the audience engaged. That's the first thing he did is he got the audience engaged. That's an art. Got their attention. You come out there and do it, try to do a, you know, high risk move. 
engaged him. I thought Disco did a great job. I thought the chemistry between these two in this match was pretty evident. They were both working very hard for each other, which is kind of like the most important thing in a match, one of the most important things. Sure. And they were both working their asses off for each other, making each other look as good as they can. Now, if I had, and one of the things that really stood out to me watching this one is the really almost perfect timing that Conan had on some of his offense and defense that looked really tight and really good, but was offset by slow feet. He had, and it wasn't, I mean, he looked great. And this is, I think, one of the challenges perhaps, you know, Conan had was because he doesn't look as big as he is because he's not real tall. He's a big dude, though. Fuck. He's a small truck. Yeah. And small trucks don't move fast. And because he's he's not six foot eight or six foot six, you kind of forget how big he really is, yeah. and how heavy and solid he is. So you kind of expect back to him to have faster feet than you probably should. But when you look at a match like this, which to me, breaking it down, I'm looking at this almost perfect timing on offense and defense and stuff that was fairly complicated to do and make look good in the ring. And they, the chemistry and the timing and everything else was so perfect, but it was a little bit offset by slow feet. If you go back and watch a match, you'll know what I mean. This is Paul Bromwell reminding you that now is the time to take the leap and join adfreeshows.com. The recent WWE Hall of Fame announcement regarding Eric Bischoff was huge and some would say way overdue. And believe it or not, the first live event he requested was an interactive Zoom call with every member of the Adfree Shows community. The best part? His wife, Lori Bischoff, joined as well, and they both chatted directly with many of our members. Take a listen as Lori shares what Eric being in the Hall of Fame means to her. Um, I am I am on cloud nine all this week. Something has happened that has been long awaited and well deserved. And um, you probably most of you know that we have we will be celebrating our 37th wedding anniversary this summer and um and we were together a couple years before that so we've been on this whole journey together uh our our story began before wrestling uh you know that that part of the story so uh i've been along for an amazing ride and it has been quite the um, magical journey. It's been sort of like going to the fair <laughs> and you just you know, between the roller coaster and the house of mirrors and, and <laughs> you know, the spin art and all the, all the goodies that come with it. Don't forget uh, the horror show. You gotta throw in the horror show. <laughs> no, no, no real horrors. Just lots of, uh, just lots of thrill rides, but but it's been amazing, and I'm so proud of him, and and I can't wait to be there to to see this all unfold, and and it's good time now. It's a really good time. So he's he's my guy, and I knew this was going to happen. It was just a matter of time, and I'm really proud of him. Thank you, babe. As a result of being a part of this experience firsthand, we had many people decide to level up. Member Matt Whitaker said as a result of that experience alone, he made the decision to be a top guy and is not looking back. 
So become a member today and enjoy all the interactive events and exclusive shows over at adfreeshows.com. Coming up next, uh, more in-ring action, this time from Ray Mysterio and Billy Kidman. Looks like all the filthy animals are getting some stuff going here. Uh, Ray gets the win, 15 minutes, 32 seconds. He's going to retain the WCW Cruiserweight title. And uh, Meltzer would say this match was disappointing for two reasons. The first was the crowd wasn't into it. The second is beat Ray Mysterio nearly knocked himself out doing a spinning head scissors off the guardrail onto the floor when his head accidentally cracked into the ring steps at the three minute and 32nd match or mark. He actually gets up and does the rest of the match and the two didn't even miss any spots and they did high degree degree of difficulty moves, but Mysterio sort of lost his fire because his head was ringing. I guess that's sort of par for course, man. If you're going to, uh, if, if you're going to make some omelets, you got to crack a few eggs and he nearly cracks his damn head open, but it is a pretty spectacular match here. Three stars is the rating. Uh, I don't know. Was it a little too long for you or what was your takeaway from this one? My take on this one was the same as my take on Blitzkrieg and Hubertu Guerrero. Two amazing performers that we've seen have amazing cruiserweight matches that from the beginning of this match, I'm not suggesting that there wasn't a, a bell rung in the process that might have made it even worse, but this, this match did not have a cruiserweight pace from the get-go, and it only slowed down as the match went on. Now, it's, that is not a knock on the talent. Right. I think the world and everybody that's ever listened to a syllable of this podcast knows that there's not many people that I have more respect for when it comes to in-ring performance than Ray Mysterio. Um, and Billy Kidman is on that list as well. Billy Kidman had some of the most amazing matches I remember seeing when I was in WCW. He was capable. But in this match, it started slow and got slower. Yes, there were spectacular spots and high-risk maneuvers, a high degree of difficulty, like we're watching a fucking Olympic figure skating conversation. Now we're judging it that way, too, you dipshit. But, yeah, it was all that. And it was boring to watch because of it, because the pacing wasn't there. It was boring for me. Other people may have loved it. Clearly, Dave did. I just thought it was okay. Pretty good, but certainly not up to a Ray Mysterio or, or Billy Kidman level. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that your favorite match was the next one. Chris Benoit is going to team with Dean Malenko to take on Raven and Perry Saturn. They go four minutes and or 14 minutes and 11 seconds. Meltzer would say the crowd was totally behind Raven as a baby face, probably because Raven's grunge personality is considered an original product of the Seattle nightclub scene many years ago. Arn got a total heel reaction coming out with Benoit and Malenko and both times during the match when Anderson got decked, he got two of the biggest pops of the show. Another very good match. Um, Meltzer dug it, gave it three and a half stars. It says Benoit busted open his own head above the eye hard way by smashing it into the chair and the landing and went to the hospital after the match and needed several stitches, but Benoit and Malenko get their hand raised. This was an old school match and probably more your speed than anything else on the show. Not only was it my favorite match on the show, but the pacing and the psychology of this match made it stand heads and shoulders above anything else on the card by a mile. Nothing even compares. If you're comparing pace and psychology, oh yeah, let's throw in execution 
in there as well. This was awesome. Just awesome. Next up, we've got, uh, Scott, the walking lawsuit waiting to happen. Steiner winning the vacant U S title in the tournament finale, pinning Booker T in 15 minutes and 57 seconds. By the way, that's the way, uh, Scott's described in the observer. I like the, um, jaw jacking with the audience. It feels like Scott Steiner's coming into his own as a character here. I dug this from a character standpoint, but the match, I don't know. Wasn't exactly what I hoped for. Cause there's no story. Okay. So there's that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean I'm just trying to be entertaining. There's lots of, uh, ref bumps and whatnot and some silliness with Randy Anderson and Boone. Uh, Steiner uses a foreign object. Booker T picks him up for a vertical suplex. Steiner hits him with the object. A dazed Boone runs in, counts the fall two and a half stars later. Scott Steiner's your new U S champ. It's just sort of there for me. And it's sort of interesting that what less than two years from this, they'll be on the final WCW show for the world title here. This is for the U S title. It's sort of fun to connect the dots. what do you think watching this one back? No meat on the bone, two great performers, two highly capable of individual, highly capable individuals, um, great equity in both of their characters. Absolutely no reason to care about this match. And I didn't, and neither did the audience. Well, did they care about the next one? It's Bill Goldberg and Kevin Nash. These guys were in the main event of what a lot of people thought would be the biggest starcade ever. Just a handful of months prior to this, Kevin Nash ends the streak and a handful of months later, here we are second from the top Goldberg gets this win though. Seven minutes and 44 seconds. Um, Meltzer would say Nash had the early advantage, including using a low blow and a side slam Goldberg powered Nash over with a front chancery into a suplex Goldberg goes for a spear, but Nash leapfrogs him and Goldberg destroys referee Mickey J. Actually, Nash looked good for a spot. Nash used the chair shot on Goldberg. Goldberg made the big recovery using the claw to the groin, followed by a spear and a jackhammer. This is sort of their forgotten match. It feels like everybody talks about that Starcade match. Nobody really even mentions this one, but you watched it back for the first time in a long time. What'd you think? I had this great plan going into this podcast where I was going to break out into my old play-by-play voice and describe Kevin Nash doing a leapfrog. Yes. In case you weren't paying close attention when Conrad set this up with the reporting from what's his name, Kevin Nash did a freaking leapfrog over Bill Goldberg, who was trying to spear him. Ladies and gentlemen, it's at two hours, 11 minutes, and one second on the Peacock, Peacock, Peacock Network, where you're going to be able to see you are truly inducted into the 2021 Hall of Fame on Tuesday, April 6th, starting at 8 p.m. Don't forget. No, I, I thought the match was solid, dude. I thought this may have, this was good. This was good. And it's easy to take shots at Kevin, you know, um, because, yeah, he's seven foot tall. He's over 300 pounds here. And he's got more knee surgeries under his belt at this time than most families of five will experience in three generations. But besides all that, he really worked his ass off in this match. 
This was, there was good chemistry going on here. I thought Bill looked great. I thought Kevin did a great job making Bill look great. I thought the action was believable. It was not crazy gimmicky. Uh, I just dug it. Hats off to both Bill and Kevin. Great match. Now it's time for a main event and what a moment it is. DDP captures the WCW world title in a four-way match over arguably the biggest stars of the eighties. Let's sort of set the stage. Randy Savage comes out first and, uh, he's our referee. He's as big as a house here and are, and arguably he and Hulk Hogan are the two biggest stars of the world wrestling federation in the 1980s. You, you can go back 10 years prior to this, the two biggest stars setting WrestleMania records in 1989, Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan on the other channel. The two biggest stars of the NWA are Ric Flair and sting. And now we've got DDP thrown into the mix, but that's not all that we're going to see here. We also see gorgeous. George Meltzer would describe her as a Pamela Anderson lookalike. Uh, I think this is sort of the coming out party for gorgeous. George. She gets a lot of attention from the announcers on the way to the ring. She was getting a lot of attention everywhere. She went in 1999. <laughs> What do you remember about meeting gorgeous George and her becoming part of the presentation? No, I, of course I met her right away when Randy was interested in bringing her in because Randy's Randy was good about that. You know, he, he had an idea, he wanted to present it, but he was, Randy was very professional about it and wanted me to meet, uh, George. <laughs> so I did. And she was pleasant. I never really got to know her. Well, I never really interacted with her much. There was never a need for me to interact with her much. Um, so I, I can't say as I knew her very well, she was always pleasant. She carried herself well backstage. She was professional in the way she did her business and showed up on time and, you know, executed the things we asked her to do without, you know, complaining or whining or moaning or wanting to change things too much. So I, I thought highly of her. What do you remember about Savage coming back here with, uh, shall we say a new look? Meltzer would even say Savage was much bigger than the other three and he's older than all of them except flair. But when Savage came back here, dude, he looks like a different person. Yeah, he was big. Sure was. We also got, uh, out next after, you know, the introduction of the referee, Randy Savage, it's our champion, Rick flair. Rick won the title the month prior at uncensored in that. First blood barbed wire cage match with Hulk Hogan. That's a real thing. Uh, and then after that, we see, uh, diamond Dallas page and then Hulk Hogan. And then last, but certainly not least sting page got the weakest reaction of the five coming out, which I guess makes sense, but then they get going and eventually we see you do a run in to start a sell that you're concerned about the injury that Hulk Hogan has faced here. And the match continues. Sting gets a scorpion death drop on page, but flair makes the save flair gets the figure four and sting makes the ropes, but Savage refuses to break it and instead drags them to the middle of the ring, which you would think helps flair, but instead Savage himself as the referee climbs to the top rope and jumps off with an elbow on flair. Finally, Paige hits the diamond cutter on Rick, and that's the pin. And I think this is sort of the swerve that nobody saw coming 
the underdog story, if you will, but Meltzer didn't like the story. He gave it a star and a quarter. What'd you think? It's because there were no hurricane rodas, no high risk, um, high degree of difficulty moves. So that's understandable. Look, I'm not going to lie and say, I, I, I love this match. I can't love this match because of all the reasons everybody's heard me discuss too many times already on the show story, right? Why do I care? I love the outcome, by the way, don't, don't get me wrong. I, th- I think the timing was right for diamond Dallas page. And if I were to take the position that this match only happened to elevate diamond Dallas page to a higher level it did so very, very effectively. And the reaction that it got at the end, despite the reaction that Paige got in the beginning, was very, very positive. And if your goal, by the way, is to construct a match in a main event that sends everybody home happy, well, we checked that box too. So while the match itself disappointed me, because not because it sucked, the match was good for what it was and what it, what it was designed to do, which is to get page over. It was a well-constructed match from that perspective, but man, could it have been so much better? Had there been a great backstory leading up to it? If there would have been a great, well-defined, highly disciplined three act structure that managed that final moment to extract the massive or the, the maximum amount of, of emotion that could possibly be extracted for DDP. Yes. There could have been so much more done. That wasn't. And that's what disappointed me, not the match itself, just what we left on the table. Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, everyone says the only reason DDP won the world title was because of his relationship with you. Scott Hall would take issue with that and say, nope, being Eric's friend actually worked against you. I saw the way he handled Dallas and, and you've sort of addressed that a little bit, but I feel like on the show where DDP becomes world champion, it bears repeating. Do you want to clarify well, the nature of your relationship and whether or not it had any influence on, you know, no, him? Scott Hall was absolutely right. Look, I was harder on page than I was on anybody else because he was my friend and I was harder on him as much for his benefit as for mine. I, I benefited too, by being hard on him. Because I knew what people, I knew the Dave Meltzer's of the world and the, you know, the different writers out there of the world. I knew the cynicism that would exist in the periphery of the industry and that would seep its way into the locker room as a result, even in the forms of ribs or, you know, that type of thing, or somebody's making offhanded comments. It kind of takes on a life of its own before you know it. I knew all this shit was going to happen. So to defend myself and Paige, you know, from it as best I could, I I was absolutely not Paige's key to the key to the party. I, 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 I kept those keys away from him for as long as I could, but he fought for them, not just by working out and learning his craft, but by pushing and engaging with other people and collaborating with other people and putting in the work and doing a great job to the point where I could not deny him the keys any longer. And that's what this match was. And and for those people that have that negative, cynical, just miserably negative fucking view of the world, go forth, you know, be the cynical negative person that you're going to be. And you'll always look at this property 
whether it was back then, 22 years ago, or today, or tomorrow, for that matter, you're, you're going you're gonna to kind of come at it from that same cynical point of view. And you're probably going to keep yourself from really enjoying the product in the process. I can't control that. But it, I, all I can do is just as articulately and as honestly as I can illustrate how untrue that narrative is or was. Tell me about Randy Savage as the guest referee. Is this just, let's pile as much star power in here as we can. Like, why would he help DDP win? Uh, was he supposed probably, to probably, probably to create an act one for the next story. Probably. So that there was somewhere for it to go. So there was heat with somebody like Ric Flair prop. There was probably a good reason behind it. I, I'm not going to profess that I know it right now. And I have it in my wallet. I can pull it out and read it to you. But typically, that's why you would do something like that. Just wanted to take a second to tell you about all the great shirts available at ericbischoff.com. If you haven't checked it out in a while, we've added a lot of new shirts. You can check out all the 83 Weeks gimmicks at boxagimmicks.com. Pick up an 83 Weeks coffee mug, get a Know What You Don't Know shirt, or grab a poster of Dave Silva's cover art. Whatever you need to show off your 83 Weeks love, visit ericbischoff.com and boxagimmicks.com. It's just interesting uh, that this is where we are. Um, the next month on pay-per-view, Gorgeous George is going to defeat Charles Robinson, where now Randy Savage has been reinstated. And I don't know, to go from a main event like this for the world title to next next week or next month, I'm going to have Little Nate wrestle your girlfriend and then we'll decide what happens from here. It, it goes from this is serious. It's about the world title to ha ha. And of course a week. So it's a little weird. I agree. It's horrible. Um, let's talk a little bit about DDP's win. It, it is his night. I know we addressed sort of the, the, the narrative that's out there. He's 43 years old at the time. And people were saying that he was way, way too old. These days we know that it's not too old at all. Uh, it wasn't too old when it happened here either. And you've sort of put a pin in that conversation saying age never really became an issue until Vince started making an issue with the huckster and the nacho man. But prior to that guys were wrestling well into their fifties at a high level, you know, main eventing territories all over the country and still are, and still are to this day. Um, but when he wins it at 43 years old, that's, that's what people are talking about. Yes. He's won it, but he's also won it at 43 years old. How excited was diamond Dallas page, the man page Falkenberg back when this happened. So excited that the vibration that it created within diamond Dallas page reverberates to this day. And I say that with respect. It, it changed him. You know, it, I, I, I don't want to get heavy here, but I think, you know, it was a goal for DDP. It was something everybody told him wasn't possible. Um, there were a lot of things working against DDP. Not the least the fact that, you know, he was my friend and neighbor, but because he was older, you know, and people didn't think he could pull it off because he'd been a manager for so long. Nobody internally in his peer group took him seriously as a wrestler. There was a lot going against him. 
And I think to reach this level, particularly in a ring full of some of the talent that he got to experience this moment with, had to be life-changing for him. In fact, it doesn't have to be. It clearly was life-changing for him. Look at what he's done with his life since then. So I, th- I think this was a pivotal moment for him, and it was a real moment for him. He did really win the heavyweight championship of the world in, in a way that matters the most. He put in the work, he achieved the impossible, and he was getting recognized by his peers for his effort. There's not a better feeling than that. And that's probably what Paige was experiencing. And I think he's still experiencing it different ways to this day because he believes in himself as much now or maybe more as a result of this win than he did going into it. Overall, how would you rate this? I know you don't like the star system, so let's go one to 10, one to 10. What's this uh, overall get from you? Not just the match, but the whole pay-per-view spring stampede 99 six. Wow. That's, that's a lot lower than people, uh, at home would rate this one. They really liked this one. Yeah, no. And I know why they liked it. And and I don't, you know, Hey, this is the great thing. (laughs) This is what I try to preach brother is enjoy it for what you enjoy it for. Yes. You know, don't, don't listen to me. Right. Unless you're entertained by it. Don't think the way I think, think the way you think. And if you liked it, great. I'm happy for you. If you like that, you know, hardcore match that I didn't like, but the audience clearly did. I'm happy as hell. Um, but I think when I, when you ask me to judge this, I'm not judging it from a fan's perspective. I'm judging it from a producer's perspective or a writer's perspective. And from a writer producer's perspective, this match didn't have enough story behind it. It wasn't supported. There was not enough stakes. It relied too much on tournaments and gimmick matches um, in lieu of great disciplined, well-crafted story and the lack thereof discipline, well-crafted story made this just an event, not something special to me. Lots of questions about this one. Uh, I don't think we'll get to them all, but let's jump in and ask a few about spring stampede 99. And I want to mention next week, we're switching things up. We're going back to talk about TNA. We're going to talk about lockdown 2011. And this is, uh, well, an interesting time in the wrestling business to say the least, especially when it comes to TNA, because There's an ultimate males rules match here. So it's two out of three falls in a steel cage match, a submission match, a pinfall match, and an escape the cage match. It's three falls here. It's Jeff Jarrett versus Kurt angle. Yes. It's that storyline. And we're going to talk about it next week. We've also got sting working with Mr. Anderson and Rob Van Dam in a steel cage match. We've got a lethal lockdown match with fortune taking on Immortal. We've also got, uh, Matt Morgan working with Hernandez in a steel cage match, Samoa Joe and D- Pope D'Angelo De Niro in a steel cage match, Mickey James and Madison rain in a steel cage match. Are you noticing a theme here? It's an entire card with cage matches. Eric's going to have an aneurysm next week on the pay-per-view tune in. I'm having an aneurysm. Just hearing about what we're going to have an aneurysm about next week. Cage match, cage match, cage match, cage match. Uh, Rajiv has a question about spring stampede 99. Was the four corners match a way to just get as many big names as possible on the show, or is it mostly used as a way to get DDP a huge win or both? 
both, as we just discussed, Rajiv, and that's a good, great question, and a great fan and supporter and family member over at adfreeshows.com. We appreciate the support, Rajiv. But it was both. You know, if you're going to try to get someone over, if you're trying to get a character to the next level, what better way to do it than to surround that individual with some of the biggest names in the industry and let him prevail in a match against them? Um, and also, to your point, Rajiv, or your question, um, have four of the biggest names in the industry promoted in your main event. So it, it served both purposes. Tyler wants to know which wrestler do you think was at their peak during this time? On this card? Yep. Benoit. There you go. Ringside Rant Jones wants to know was Savage DDP's best rivalry, do you think? Yes, without question. And not only because of the outcome, not only because of what we saw, you know, manifest on television or pay per view, but because of the growth and up level, I hate to use that term because it's used a lot, but the process of building that story took place between Paige and and Randy, both of whom loved to write down every little detail and go over the match to the point where it would make most people nuts. Right. In fact, it made the people around them nuts and they weren't even really involved in it. But if you could hear them talking in a locker room or, or at the hotel bar at night or in a restaurant in the morning, it, if you were in earshot, it would start to drive you crazy. That's how they, how intense they both were and how much attention to detail they both gave it. That experience, I think, working with Randy gave DDP so much more confidence that yeah, it was it, it it was reflected within their match, but it also carried forward, and 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 helped DDP rise in stature amongst his peers as a result. Not that everybody wanted to go over all the details of the match like Randy and Page did. A lot of people didn't want to do that. Very were adamant about not doing that. But the fact that Page put in the work with somebody like Randy. That won him a lot of respect from people that he needed respect from at the time. I also want to ask about, uh, DDP creatively. Is this, is him winning the belt here primarily a swerve because no one will call it? Is it, Hey man, this guy's paid his dues. He's gotten over. He's one of our top acts. What better time than, than to anoint him right now when nobody could call it or while you've got such star power surrounding it. And if that's the answer. Why do you shortly turn him heel after this? Is that getting more into the swerve uh, era of wrestling? I'll answer the first question first. Um, it was neither of those two choices that you provided me. It wasn't because, hey, nobody will see it coming. So therefore, it's a surprise. Oh, the crowd will love it. Um, it was because. The crowd was behind Page. The crowd had been behind Page for some point at that time. Page's character had evolved in the eyes of the audience and in the reactions we were getting from those eyes every week to the point where internally to not, you know, give Page an opportunity at the title would have been malpractice. That would have been insane. So 
The answer really was just because he deserved it. Now, as far as turning him heel too quick, I'm going to go back to the lack of vision, lack of planning, yeah. you know, just haphazard, desperate, creative, and trying anything that would work. And typically when you get an audience, because keep in mind, the audience didn't just get behind page when he won the title. Right. They're already there. It, they've been, they were already there for a year or two. So to take all of that love from the audience and then turn it upside down on paper, when you're under pressure and desperate can make sense. And I'm sure that's probably what it was. Get ready to get into the fire. NWA power, the studio wrestling show that exploded onto our screens is back for a fourth season. Now it's exclusively on fight TV. And if you listen to this show, the chances are you may feel like a lot of pro wrestling that's available today, maybe a little too sports entertainment. And you may crave some good old fashioned wrestling. We may find that NWA power hits those notes, no scripts, no skits, old schooled interviews at the famous NWA podium with some of the best talkers in the game today and hard hitting action from seasoned professionals. But perhaps best of all, it's one hour. You ain't got to carve out hours and hours to keep up with the action. See the NWA world's champion, Nick Aldis, Thunder Rosa, the television champ, the Pope, Elijah Burke. That salty redneck Trevor Murdoch, Tom Latimer, Camille, Melina, Tim Storm, as well as all the new faces this season, like the legendary Austin Idol, Chris Adonis, Kratos, and Taryn Terrell, plus so many more from the GPB studios in Atlanta, Georgia, just about a block away from the site of the old Georgia Championship Wrestling back in the day. The NWA package on Fight TV is just $4.99 a month. That works out to just over a dollar an episode. Plus, when you subscribe to the NWA on Fight, you also get access to all the previous seasons of NWA Power, as well as Into the Fire and Hard Times pay-per-view events. Don't complain that there's no wrestling like there used to be. There is. It's NWA Power. That's available right now. Go to fight.tv and subscribe to the NWA and feel the power. Come on, man. This is fun stuff. Fight.tv. Check it out. NWA Power is back for a fourth season. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Brad Sand- Saunders question. He says, what was Randy Savage like to work with backstage during this time period? I don't recall hearing a lot of stories during the gorgeous George Savage era. Of course, he's bringing this up because of all the rumor and innuendo about the way Randy would handle Liz. You remember there being any crazy, um, paranoia stories with, with Randy and the gorgeous George. Absolutely not. I've said this a million times. Randy's I. Randy was one of the easiest people I've ever worked with. doesn't mean he wasn't unique and had his own way of doing things and challenge everybody. We all have our own way of doing things and communicating. And sometimes they can be challenging, but his intention was always a hundred percent. He was a workhorse. Even when Randy and I disagreed, it was some of the most constructive slash productive conversations that I remember having with talent sometimes, particularly when you're, you know, you're coming at something from an, from an opposite perspective. We worked through it in a really constructive way. I miss that. Randy was one of the people that I really, I didn't mind when Randy, Randy wanted to challenge me at all. Creatively. I'm talking about it because his intentions were right. He had thought through, he wasn't coming from a place of emotion and ego and fear he was just really looking for the best story and the best product. I, I miss Randy for that 
missing for other reasons, but man, that's a, that's a magic environment to, to work in when, when you've got somebody that, you know, you know, has much more experience than you do in many areas of the business, particularly in the performance side, where you know that you've got certain strengths and experiences that your counterpart doesn't, and you don't agree on something, but yet you can effectively and in a way that you actually enjoy it, get into a debate and constructively pick it apart and put it back together again and come out with something better. And that's the magic. I miss that magic. Last one. Then we'll wrap things up here and get ready for a uh, lockdown 2011, which I know you're really excited about chomping at the bit, chomping at the gimmick bit. You, uh, you told us a little bit earlier about how you were going to carve off to Nick Lambros and Jay Hassman and some others, some of the marketing, and that's what led to this terrible WCW logo. Uh, but Ed dead by Dawn posted on Twitter, the actual poster for this event where it says at the top WCW and the NWO present, and then like a Western style, bold font, the biggest, the baddest, no bull. And it's got a big steer here with a barbed wire, like ghostbuster sign over it. And it has this WCW NWO spring stampede logo order from your cable or satellite company. Now Sunday, April 19th. Denver, Colorado, 7 PM, 4 PM. This is obviously the prior year spring stampede, but it speaks to how unplugged the marketing department could be from WCW at times. Like, why is there a picture of a fucking cow here to sell the pay-per-view? I understand the theme is spring stampede, but my goodness, in hindsight is the marketing and, and promotion being so disconnected from the actual product. Is that one of the major pitfalls of the company in hindsight? And, and I know that I'm, I'm, t- I'm talking in circles here a little bit, but I just saw something the other day where a great friend of the show, Neil Pruitt, who was the voice of the NWO, he says, Turner had practically zero budget for pay-per-view promotion. So those silly little cutaways and commercials we would see in a pay-per-view for the following month's pay-per-view where it's just random guys like hammering stuff in a warehouse or something. They just didn't have any budget at all to do it. And I just, I don't think our listeners can really comprehend how convoluted all these different departments are in WCW, where on the one hand we're making money hand over fist, but on the other hand, we don't get credit for that cash and therefore we have no budget to promote it. It's just mind numbing. Is it not? It's an example and, and. It's an example of the larger problem. And I know, you know, I, and I get the feedback, you know, when I talk about this, you know, there's a portion of our audience that's, you know, he's making excuses, you know, it was bad booking. It was the finger poke of doom. (laughs) It was the cat's ass logo. You know, everybody's got their own version of what really went wrong with WCW. And And a lot of it, you know, is directed at me. And those, and a lot of that narrative comes from people that weren't there. Neil was there. And his recall of what the real issue was, we all know how it manifested. We all know how it became obvious to us as viewers on television, right? 
And you, the example you gave is a, is a perfect example. Yes, it was true. What Neil said was absolutely true, but it was more true than people realized because that budget for pay-per-view was approved the year before. And it got yanked. Not be, in, in 98, it got yanked. While we were still making money hand over fist, it got yanked. Because they, the people that were involved in the merger at that time wanted to prop up certain numbers within Turner or the Turner organization, certain divisions that were not, you know, a line item called other needed to balance their books a little bit. And there were all kinds of creative ways. Go to Guy Evans book. You don't have to believe me. I don't care anymore. But if you want the truth and you want to really understand in a way that you can't possibly understand by reading about it online, then look at Guy Evans' book. Listen to what Neil Pruitt said. Listen to my perspective. What was really happening there wasn't going bad in 99. It started going bad in 98. It became a reality in 99 when, as Joe pointed out, or Neil pointed out, that there was no budget in WCW for marketing, but guess why? It got yanked mm. and that money got allocated somewhere else where it was needed more. How fucked up is that? Yeah. Well, that's it boys and girls. It's a mess. It's spring stampede 99. I thought, uh, Eric was going to send us out on a high note with some dropping some wisdom, but I guess he's, he's keying up for his big speech this weekend, or I guess it's tomorrow. Tune in, Just watch Eric go into the hall of fame tomorrow and be sure to watch WrestleMania this weekend. And most importantly, cruise on over on the seventh, just a couple days from now to at foot action. I can't believe this is real. While a mania is here, they've got really exclusive, cool merchandise celebrating all the great black champions in WWE history. Eric's rocking the, uh, the Ron Simmons one today. And man, it's so cool to see while doing this and with foot action, and they obviously support our podcast and we want to support them, but you and I normally attend Wale Mania, and uh, this year we're going to be watching WrestleMania in our new gear. I am. I'm, I'm going to wear it under my tux. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to put it on eBay as show, show-worn merchandise. How about that? Boy, you're you're really leveling up now. I'm ha- I'm proud to see it. I, I knew you'd like it. that, Conrad. I knew you'd love that thinking. <laughs> Next up, it's lockdown 2011. We've got a really fun schedule mapped out for you. Let me run through what's coming. Uh, we're going to talk about Slam Marie 1996. As long as all the Raws are uploaded, we had planned on April 26th to do a bit of a crossover. We're going to watch the DX invasion with both Eric and Jim Ross. So uh, JR will watch Nitro. Eric will watch Raw. That should be fun. And uh, as we're speaking here later this week, or I guess it's next week now. We're going to drop that round table with you and Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross from Jacksonville over at adfreeshows.com. How much fun was that? Man, I'm just so grateful. I had an opportunity to be a part of that. That was really, I'll I'm going to save my commentary until we see it, but it was a really, really special night for me. It was like, man, this is really full circle. And it was so much fun. I laughed so hard. I literally, I had an ab the next morning when I woke up. I didn't have a six pack, but I had one ab. That's how much belly laughing I did. Well, we it was hope- a lonely ab too. I only had it for like 16 hours and it went away again, but man, for 16 hours, I had an ab. 
Well, you're going to have a great time this week. Congratulations on getting in the hall of fame. Be sure to rock your Wale mania gear and check out ad foot action. And don't forget to check out adfreeshows.com where you get all these shows early and ad free until next time. He is at E Bischoff. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on 83 weeks for lockdown 2011. Man, we love talking about our friend, Steven Singer. And I'll tell you, the competition must really hate this guy. He just makes the experience of buying a diamond better and better. And he makes it fun. Steven is the very first to offer each and every customer the perfect price. That's right. Have you ever wondered if you're getting the best price? Are you uncomfortable negotiating? Well, head to Steven Singer Jewelers and you're guaranteed to get the perfect price. You'll never pay more than the guy sitting next to you. Here's a little insider tip. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down to make you feel like you're getting a deal. The guy next to you may be paying less. Do you want the most important purchase of your life to be based on your negotiating skills? That's never the case at Steven Singer because at Steven Singer Jewelers, you're guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. That's why we trust Steven Singer. He makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. So check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. Okay, let's just be honest with each other. If you're listening to this, there's a 98% chance you're a dude. And there's also a pretty good chance if you go to your significant other and you say, Honey, I think we should refinance with this wrestling podcast guy. She's going to look at you like... And I get that, but let me just put a little bug in your ear. Cruise on over and check out the reviews for us. Here's what people are saying. Christina in Lancaster, Ohio gave us a five-star review. She says the team was extremely responsive, knowledgeable, helpful with all our questions and time. The process was very quick and simple, and we were shocked at how easily everything came together. Thank you for that review, Christina. Here's what Brian in Moorhead, Minnesota said. If you want to refinance, choose these guys. They walked me through every step and they were great to work with. Here's what Lewis said in Kalamazoo, Michigan, great communication, very friendly and knowledgeable staff. Here's what Lauren said in Monroe, Connecticut. Conrad made the process easy and was a pleasure to work with. Here's what Bailey said in Maryville, Tennessee. I was looking to refinance for my mortgage. First family made it easy and efficient. I got a great rate and I was very pleased with the outcome. What about Jeffrey in Michigan? gave us a five-star review and he wrote everyone was helpful and patient with some of our local lenders not wanting to help find the missing documents i get it it's a wrestling podcast but he's saving us money on our mortgage you really trust this process the reviews don't lie five-star review after five-star review we make it fast we make it easy and it's no cost or obligation give us a shot to earn your business i'm telling you you'll be glad you did especially if you like keeping more of your own money you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. So what are you waiting for? Hurry to savewithconrad.com. NLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Get yourself a quick quote right now. Interest rates are on the rise and you don't want to miss it. Waiting will only cost you money. Hurry, savewithconrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.